Hey zombies, and welcome to another episode of the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast. This is episode number 304, and today we're going to look at a couple of movies where the theme is we're investigating hell houses. Literally, uh, two movies, one called Hell House 2, the other one called The Legend of Hell House. I literally can't, if you couldn't figure out what the connection was going to be between these two movies uh, this month, then you're not even trying, which is okay. I mean, who would, who would, it's not really a game. There's no prize. So why would you try, honestly? My name is Ron Martin. I am your host with me today, the clairvoyant, all the way from Canada. Welcome back to the show, clairvoyant. Thank you. It's been a while. I haven't been here since your new format. So this is all new to me. Right. It's, we've only had a few people on since the new format. We took a, we took a little breaky break. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, people said, we don't really like the franchise stuff. At least they said that with their lack of hitting the <laughs> download button. So we just switched things up, do a little bit of, uh, a little bit of modern horror, but then I like the older horror. So I throw this in the please myself. I don't know. Maybe people just listen to the first one and then hit it stop button. You know, maybe. whatever. It, it all works the same to me. Um, yeah, I'm a fan of Shirley Jackson. So I'm really glad you got me on your haunting a hill house episode here. Yeah, so you're going to be super disappointed when we get to that second movie. So we're going to stop the recording right here so uh, Claire Boyant can actually go watch the correct movie instead of watching the Haunting of Hill House series on Netflix. (laughs) It probably is. Like, uh, I've seen The Haunting, so yeah, you could probably just, you could probably wing it. It's a haunted house house, uh, haunted house movie. Um, Claire Boyant, did you guess the, as I know it was super hard this time, this month, and we try to do, we try to do a theme between the two movies. Uh, did you, the theme, the theme last month, um, with Shani Dreadful, right, was haunted, haunted tree houses. Yes. She didn't figure it out. It's a little tougher. Uh, did you, did you figure out the actual, the theme? I know I keep my guess in the, in the black on what the theme is. I honestly thought that. Hell House LLC 2 was a sequel to a remake of The Legend of Hell House. And then I learned that they, in fact, have almost nothing in common. <laughs> they have absolutely... The only thing that... Well, no, they do have something in a common. Little bit. In the first Hell House LLC, they even, like... There's a little, like, reference to Legend of Hell House. But that's about it. Well, you'll have to enlighten me when we get to that particular movie. Because it's been a while since I've watched the first Hell yeah. House LLC. Yeah, I watched it to prepare myself for its sequel, which there's another sequel coming out. Uh, so okay. yeah, you actually even watched extra movies. Yeah, I watched prepare. more. I, I went above and beyond. It's like when I watched all the Phantasms just to get to Phantasm 4. <laughs> but then that ended up being a great thing for you. Now you're the biggest Phantasm yeah. fan in Canada. Yeah, I, I am a Phantasm fan, and yeah. I can't say I'm a Hell House LLC fan Yet, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> we're we're still waiting on your definitive org chart of the army of the of the I, tall man coming so this Halloween a, season on IHateStuff.net. Yeah, I was going to say you can get it on your website. <laughs> so let's plug the website. IHateStuff.net is the home of the, my other podcast, the Salem sixty nine two podcast. It's also where I do uh, pop culture, movie reviews, uh, nostalgia stuff, whatever I feel like writing that day. Other than IHateStuff.net, of course, you can go to Zombie7.com. I should mention, since that's the podcast that this, the website of this podcast is going to be on uh, Zombie7.com for all of your Resurrection of Zombie 7 needs over 320 episodes. If you count the bonus episodes, 
uh, on zombie7.com. And if you're new, this is the first show you've listened to. One, where you been? Yeah, where you been? Two, um, welcome. This is the Clairvoyant. Nice to meet you. Every episode. Every episode that you've listened to. Uh, three, you got like 320 episodes to listen to to catch up. So get on it. So I want to talk about your website here. You like how I say about, I just realized how very Canadian that sounded to me. <laughs> you had that definitive Buffy episode that you're looking for. Right now on IHateStuff.net uh, to the end of June, we're taking nominations for what the best Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode is, any any episode one through season one through season seven. And uh, what it is, is I have an algorithm of categories that I will actually rate every single episode in, and we'll figure out through that algorithm, which is the best Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. Well, as you know, I came from a former Buffy podcast. Uh, which the, Weed in, the Weed Inverse podcast. The Weed Inverse podcast, which has been on hiatus for forever now. I'm done <laughs> promising it's going to come back. I don't know. but <laughs> We came back. The Resurrection of Zombie 7 came back. Anything exactly. If you can come back, we can do it too. That's right. So I thought it would make sense to encourage people to uh, give their recommendations, to give my recommendations on air. Also because I thought it would be more fun for you have to go back and listen through the episode than actually scroll through the comments and just type it in. Make it over to you. Thanks. <laughs> so these are my four picks for what I think are four exceptional Buffy episodes just before we start off. Uh, for definitive episodes, if you will. And the thing is, uh, any any episode that's actually nominated, I'm actually going to watch. Yeah, exactly. That's why I chose four, which you said is the maximum. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, I didn't put these in order of my favorite. I just put them in order of what, as they appear in the series. Uh, so, four, uh, season four. So, I guess, four, one, whichever order you want. Season four, uh, Fear Itself. I don't think it's one of the best episodes, but I think if you were to tell someone, if you were to explain to someone, if they were like, what's Buffy the Vampire Slayer about this episode, you show it to them, it explains everything in one concise little package. That's why I think it's such a great episode of Buffy's, because it's just the entire series condensed into an episode. It's all in a haunted house on Halloween. Uh, there's a fun twist at the end. It's funny. It's spooky. It's yeah, Buffy. We covered that episode on this podcast. That's great. Yeah. On one, on one of the Halloween podcast. special episodes that we did. We didn't get that far on the Weed Verse podcast, but we <laughs> <laughs> And uh, next, season five, The Body. Uh, regardless of your opinions on the character involved, uh, I think that it's a great, great episode of television. It's such a real portrayal of grief that you'd never expect from a show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's really good cinematic moment for Buffy, really. It's really well shot, it's really well written, it's so just raw, and that's why I think that deserves a place. Season 6, everyone knows what I would say, once more with feeling. <laughs> whether you love it or whether you hate it, it's an important moment in Buffy, um, and it's made waves probably more than any other episode, and so it's it's iconic, you know, it's what everyone thinks of. It's the musical episode, and... It's uh, I think it's a it's an important place in the Buffy canon, whether or not it's the definitive best. Correct. And 
Season 7 is my personal favorite episode of the series, actually. It's called Conversations with Dead People. Uh, it's three separate storylines. One's scary, one's sort of giddy, bantery, uh, and then one is just sad. And I feel like each of those storylines capture different facets of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's not as... When it comes to Buffy, you can show someone fear itself, and that's self-contained. It's not... There's no spoilers there. This one's less so. It's very spoiler-heavy. It may not be the best to show someone just getting into the series, but I feel, as a fan of the series, it really pays off in a lot of ways. It's my personal favorite episode. It's very artistic, too. And so those are my four choices for you. Also, the only episode of the series that does not... Without Nicholas Brendan, yeah. I guess sucks to be you, Nicholas Brendan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm surprised that you didn't pick any episodes from the first three seasons. See, and the first three seasons are usually regarded by a lot of people. Like, second and third season, most people consider those to be the best. And I Uh do love them a lot, but I feel like these are episodes that... Well, a few of them are just fantastic episodes and a few I feel don't get as much love as they deserve so that was where my reasoning lied. yeah I'm definitely I know that um, my opinions about uh, entertainment usually are in the minority but when it comes to Buffy I'm definitely in the majority <laughs> that's fair so I have that going for me I don't know if that means anything uh, so that would definitely be um, watching those as two of those four were already on other people's lists anyway so a little bit of overlap. But excellent uh, episode choices. Thank you. Yeah, I, I used to be an expert on this. Used to be? I'm an yeah. ex-expert. Ex Here's the good thing about that, is nothing's changed in the Buffy world. That's true. So you're still an expert until the new series comes out. Right. And then you have to watch that, I guess. To continue your expertise. That's true. Okay, so with those picks, thank you very much, actually, for... Because I was actually going to ask you <laughs> at the end of the episode if you had any. You killed that. Yeah. Knocked that one out of the park. With that being said, the theme of this episode of the podcast... Uh, I don't know if you noticed this or not, Clairvoyant, but the term Hell House is actually in the title of both movies. Oh, I guess it is. Yeah. And both movies also revolve around a plot of people investigating a place called the Hell House. Yeah, yeah, now that you mention that. So it's kind of the theme. The theme is investigating Hell Houses. Uh, for this episode, the June edition, the June 2019 edition of The Resurrection of Zombie 7 Podcast. And we're going to start today with a movie that just came out last year, last September, September 2018, when I was just but a young pup. <laughs> Uh, and it's still on hiatus, I believe, at that point. I think we were doing. I, I think we were doing the Zombie <laughs> Seven grab bag Halloween episodes, uh, but we weren't doing the actual podcast at that point. That flashback to September of 2018. There is this streaming service. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. We call it Shutter here in America. Canada too. Oh wow, Shutter in Canada as well. Uh, we were a big proponent of Shutter when it first happened. We talked about it a lot on the podcast. I'm still a big proponent of it. It's still a very good service if you're a horror fan. And I think it's something that you should invest in if you're a horror fan. They've started making their own shows following the Netflix slash Hulu marketing of original material. Uh, I think that's the way we're, we're moving towards, right? All the streaming, all the streaming services stuff, all the subscription services are going to start making their own material. Netflix originals, Hulu originals, Shutter originals. So this, I think this is 
one of, if not the first, like Shutter original movie. I don't know why they chose the do a sequel to Hell House LLC, which was just you know uh, very low budget, independent, but you know surprisingly okay found footage horror film that we covered on this podcast. Yeah, so this was episode 257. We did a one-night stand on Hell House LLC. I believe it was just me and Jessica on that particular episode. So if you haven't seen Hell House LLC, you can see it. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's on Shutter. I didn't look. It is, yeah. But I'm sure that it, it is. Canadian Shutter, at least. Well, it's it would... 50 episodes ago. It would be... Yeah, almost exactly. It, w- it would be... Kind of silly to make a in-house sequel to a movie that you don't have the rights to <laughs> to stream, you know? That would be silly. So I'm I'm assuming that they have the rights to the Hell House LLC. Um, it's a it's a decent movie. If you haven't if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a watch, especially if you like the found footage stuff. Um, but in that film, just to recap that film a little quick in case you haven't seen it, because it obviously this is a sequel has a lot to do with that film. A group of people that are trying to open a commercial haunted house move into this abandoned hotel in order to prepare it for the haunted house. The Abaddon Hotel, which, in case you haven't noticed, is also the subtitle of Hell House LLC 2. Um, and things go awry, and they all die, pretty much, uh, on camera, because it's all found footage. Uh, there's you know some some other stuff that's going on in there, some underlying reasonings and causes. Creepy clowns. Creepy clowns and things, and you know portals to other dimensions and shit. Well, satanic stuff, anyway. Yeah. And one thing I thought was interesting is that... In the first movie, there's a lot of stuff that's merely implied. And I actually found uh, the director was commenting. Someone mentioned this movie on Reddit, and the director was commenting on it. And it almost became an impromptu, ask me anything. Yeah. And I asked some questions, and I found his insights really interesting. Uh, And then this movie kind of just... It feels like it was born entirely out of those comments. It feels like it answered everything from the first movie that didn't need to be answered. It was strange that I had read these just before I watched the second movie, and I was like, okay, yeah, these were his Reddit comments about what the first movie meant. And now he just made it into a movie. <laughs> yeah, now now I can sleep easy knowing that those unanswered questions for a Hell House LLC are finally answered. <laughs> I can finally get a good night's sleep here. For a movie that Hell House LLC Two is a movie that doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. So, if you're a fan, make the make the movie a Wikipedia page. Come on, people, what are you doing out there? Uh, so, in that first movie, of course, there's a, it's a found footage film, so there has to be a documentary crew, uh, and the lead documentary person uh, ends up going missing, and that kind of leads us into um, Hell House LLC Two, the abandoned hotel. You know why it's called the abandoned hotel, Clairvoyant? Because that is the hotel from the movie. <laughs> that is correct, but also because Abaddon is mentioned... It was a the, demon or a devil, right? Yeah, it's mentioned in the Bible as uh, a place of destruction. A gateway, so to speak. And I think they actually a, make reference to that in this movie. A lake of fire? Lake of fire, could be. So in this particular film, Hell House LLC... Two, we have a new documentary crew documenting what happened to the old documentary crew that was documenting what happened to the people who were setting up the haunted house in the haunted hotel. Original premise? You follow me there? Let me guess that the third one's going to be 
another documentary crew. <laughs> the clairvoyance is alluding to the fact that uh, this is probably the second film in a, in a trilogy. It is. They um, announced the third one, actually. Oh, have they already announced it? And uh, I'll get into the plot once we get... But they, they never really set up for the third one. If you read the plot synopsis for the third one, which I had read before I saw the second movie, uh, they definitely... <laughs> they they are setting up for a sequel here, but we'll get to that once yeah, we get to that part of the plot. <laughs> is it, you know, doc, found footage style, so you kind of have to suspend some disbelief just to believe the found footage genre. Oh, how right. did how do they get the security footage from the police station when they're interviewing this girl at the police station? Why haven't they stopped filming? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you always have to you always have to answer that question. They try to like nip that in the bud at the beginning and say, "This is our gimmick. Like we never stop filming from beginning yeah, to end. No, no matter what happens, we keep rolling." Uh, and but they still cut a lot, so there still are cuts. It just be one long take, so clearly they lied. Well, it does say at the beginning that it, the film was edited by someone else. That's fair. Never really stated who. Uh, but the one of the main characters in this particular movie is Mitchell Cavanaugh, who was allegedly one of the documentarians that edited... that. Well, he was the filmmaker that edited the first documentary. Yeah, he wasn't in the first movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was trying to scratch my brain. We watched that movie back in 2017, so... That's a lot of nights of sleeping and, you know, a lot of nights of drinking heavily between now and then. So I was trying to scratch my head to see if I remembered him in the movie. Uh, then I finally just broke down and looked up on IMDb. <laughs> and, he, and he was not uh, in the movie. But he's allegedly the person who made the documentary. So he's on a morning TV show called Morning Mysteries with a, a psychic medium type of guy named Brian D- uh, Brock Davies. Uh, and... Yeah. <laughs> and a city official city official who looks like like a creepy like tall like guy he looks like the man from the american gothic painting he kind of does look like that guy that's a good call what i noticed immediately once we got to this scene was i mean i, I watched the movie almost back to back and so i noticed just what a downgrade it was in acting like, the, the visuals and everything, it's found footage, it's all the same, but it just felt like they went from filming regular people to filming actors trying to act as regular people. And I get that it, the format is that they're on a talk show or whatever, so they have to project, and so I forgave it a little, but it just felt like such a tonal shift. I think that's true for the whole movie, though. Yeah. Like, even when they're not on the TV show? There's Oh, there's someone right now. I want to call out. Her name is... Which, this is disturbing to me because the Hell House LLC, the original, like, when you look at the production credits for that, it's all pretty much the same last name, meaning this is somebody, you know, got a lot of yeah. money, got a lot of money from their family. This was a independent, very independent, very low-budget film, so they didn't have a lot of money, but they act. But you're saying, and I, I agree with you. The acting was better in the first film, which is, is upsetting because Shutter is, you know, a streaming service that has a lot of subscribers. And if they're going to produce their own content, they should have enough money to produce their own content and get better quality acting and better quality um, special effects. And yeah, neither one of those were, I think, uh, noticeable in this movie. I was actually surprised when I saw the producers for the first movie because. There's literally 
six or seven people with the same last name. Six or seven yeah. different people. <laughs> because the the guy probably went to his uncle and was like, Uncle, can you loan me five thousand dollars? Grandpa, can I get, you know, my inheritance early? That's my guess. I mean, I don't know anything. That's just my guess. So I'm calling out it right now. Joy Schatz. She played Molly Reynolds in this movie. Yep. Uh, Joy, I'm sure you're a nice person. I know you're listening. <laughs> I'm sure you're a nice person, and you, I see that you have some other credits, and maybe you're fine in those. But in this movie, you did you did a poor job. I don't know if it was the material, if it was you, but um, I'm challenging you on air right now to a boxing match. Because Ooh, I was I so know. affected by your performance in this movie. I don't know. I think she, I think that she could pro- she might be able to take you, dude. I mean, I don't expect to win. It's more the principle of it. You just want to get punched in the face by a girl named Joy. Yeah, I, well, I, I mean, cross off like your bucket list. She's a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been disappointed with the Shutter original material. I don't think I'm tipping my hat too much on this on this movie. Um, but I watched and reviewed on the website, uh, the, the series, the new critter series. Ooh. And it, it was just, it was treated as a joke because it is a joke, it, but it's a joke because they treated it as a joke. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I'm not even saying it's bad because it's just not good. It's bad because they treated it like a joke. Like it's one big joke. Pretty, I am pretty disappointed with the Shutter original material so far. Like when Netflix puts out original stuff, and I'm not saying Shutter obviously is not on the same level as Netflix as of yet. They haven't been around as long, but it's super high quality. They get, they get great acting. They have a large budget. They have, um, you know, fantastic cinematography, you know, sometimes the storylines falter and I'm looking at you here, stranger things season two. Uh, but that's, that's the writing. That's not, that's not Netflix. So, uh, Shutter, I really like the service, but you need to step up your game when it comes to the original material. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It, it was weird because it just felt like overall like a downgrade in a lot of ways from the first movie. From a movie that was made on a, with nothing, right? Yeah. And the acting was, it felt like it was being acted now instead of filming regular people. And on top of that, it felt like it had special effects. And one of the things he mentioned in on Reddit was that he liked the idea of, you know, uh, the, the less you see, the less you know, the more it is. And so the first movie didn't explain much. There wasn't much special effects. It didn't show much. And that's where kind of the magic lied. And in this one, you see a lot more special effects. There's more like actual people trying to act. And so much is explained. And it's like, it's written by the same guy. It's directed by the same guy as the first one. So it's almost like he went back on everything he stood for in a movie. <laughs> or they gave him a bunch of money and they said, this is what we want. Right. I, I wonder how much also, if Shudder had any hands in that as well, if they had notes or if since their service, they had a specific way they wanted it made. Possibly. But since the passing of the first film, this is several years later, and I do, what, one of the things I did like about the film was in the meantime, between the time of the first film and this film, several people have attempted to go into yeah. the house. And they show them, like, one guy is on Facebook Live, and he gets all fucked up inside the house on Facebook Live. Vlogging couple from the fashion show? Right. One, yeah, there's, there's a couple that's vlogging. There's a, there's a dude who goes in and videotapes himself on a dare. Which I like this because 
in today's society, um, every single person has a video camera at their, at their disposal. So, of course, a ton of people would try to break into this super haunted hotel uh, and record it. Also, some of the best actors in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Were the guys with the cameos trying to get yeah. into the house. Um, which is funny because these guys literally just walk into the house. Like, they don't even... One guy, the door opens for him. The other guys just walk into the house. But the team of investigators make it like a big deal. Like, how are we going to get into the house? We'll break down the door if we have to. Right. We have to sneak in the back through this cornfield over a fence. Well, under a fence. And then we're going to have to break this door down. Oh, wait, the door's unlocked. We could have literally just walked up. I, I know that the police coverage, allegedly there is a police car out front. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, was, was part of the issue, allegedly, but we didn't see a police car in the entire film. No, and it also feels like a waste of city funds. Well, that's what the one guy was talking about on the show, the, the city guy, the guy who's representing the city. We have to take all these funds and put them into this because people are trying to sneak into the hotel and they're disappearing at the hotel when we could be using those funds for something else. It's actually a legit, like, small town. Yeah, argument. The suspicious voice of reason. <laughs> this team of what, what did they what did they what did they call themselves? It was some oh, sort of um, website yeah, where it was it? insider, right? Yeah, insider, where there's some sort of website that films films their entire process from from beginning to end when from when they get the idea to when they go out and uh, do the task and do all the reporting and put it together. So that's that's their gimmick as we film everything, which works well for a found footage film. And they have recruited Mitch to come into the house to the hotel uh, with them based on the fact that he wants to find out what happened to Diane, whom was one of his people on the on the documentary. And if I remember correctly, was were they romantically involved or were hinting at they were romantically involved at some point? I feel like they hinted they were. Yeah, definitely not in the first movie because Mitch wasn't in the first movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think they're hinting now that they were. That was his girlfriend, and she disappeared while making the documentary. It can sort of be hand-waved away in that it, like, seems to imply that the house is, or the house or the entities in the house have sort of powers of making people, drawing people in. So I guess you can hand-wave it away with that, but still, it feels just so unlikely that Mitch would agree to do it, would agree to go back after all he's seen and all he knows. It doesn't even seem that reluctant. Brock Davies told him, he goes, you know that you're going back in there, and I know that you're going back in there, so take me with you. Yeah. Because Brock... I also liked how the city official, at one point, refers to the insider, as he's, he's going on a rant, and he says, you could have been like BuzzFeed, which is so <laughs> strange to me, in that he's like a 50, 60-year-old city official, and just how tech-savvy he is. Well, you don't get to be a city official in Abaddon, New York, without knowing what BuzzFeed is. Yeah, you can tell that the director is a lot, or the writer director is a lot younger than, <laughs> than the character. Do you think Brock Davies had any real psychic powers? Um, see, that's one thing that's almost implied in both this movie and the next one is like that's one thing I like is the question of you know are these people like, they clearly believe they do, but. Is it real? Is it bullshit? And I think maybe he had some powers. I actually, with him, I'm not even 100% convinced 
that he thought he had powers, or if he knew he was, he was scamming bullshitting. <laughs> um, so we get into the we get into the the hotel, and we have Mitch, Jessica, whom is like the lead of the insider. Uh, we have David, who is the camera guy, who's never going to put the camera down, even if something happens. I forgot he existed. I mean, he's the camera guy, so maybe that's the point. Right. I forgot he existed for a large, large portion of the movie. Uh, and then we have Molly, who is David's girlfriend, uh, the bane of the clairvoyant's existence. Um, yeah. And she when, is scared all the time. When, or later, don't get a little bit, when Molly appears in the house, we see David again for the first time after a long time because he's just going through files and stuff. And I, my first thought was, how did he get in the house? Yeah, Molly stays outside the house at first because one, because she's scared, uh, and two, because they want somebody outside the house. But she gets lured into the house by the demons of the house. Three, because they wanted to give time to the actual actors. (laughs) They also used it as the impetus for figuring out, oh shit, the house is fucking with us. It's it's time to get out. Um, There was a reason, storyline wise, for it to happen. But what? Jessica wants to do is get into the basement and get into these files that are hidden in a basement refrigerator that apparently <laughs> that apparently show um, have documentation videos of the former owner of the Abaddon Hotel. Was it Andrew Tolley? Was that the guy's name? Um, yeah, Andrew Tolley. Who's a Satan worshiper. Had a cult. Had a cult. Uh, they did a lot of bad things in the hotel. Uh, hence the hotel's rotation. Hence why it closed down. Including killing themselves. Uh, yeah, in the in the dining room by hanging themselves. Also killed former guests, which is in the first movie, not really in the second. They killed like a, a woman and her child, and they like they sacrificed their guests, and it was implied cultist cultist activity. Right, it's it's implied in the it's well, it's not implied; it's outright said in the first movie. Uh, but it's not as heavy handed in the first movie as it is in this one. But in this movie, it's the impetus for the entire story. Whereas in the first movie, it's like, oh, crazy things are happening at this hotel. This might be why. But we're really worried about these crazy things that are happening at this hotel and everybody's dying. Yeah. Less clown, more cult. In, in the first movie, allegedly uh, 15 people died in the in the haunted house the night that, of the event, the opening night. One of the cool, I think one of the cool storylines in this particular, in this movie, Hell House 2, is the girl who was one of the... Victims. The haunted house goers who got killed. Uh, because the first movie really just focuses on the employees, because that's who we see throughout the whole movie. It's just said that some of the guests got killed as well. We just don't act we don't actually see them, you know. Yeah. Um so we saw one of them in this one. It was a, the old Resurrection Mary deal where she's hitch- hitchhiking to the place and then becomes the undead. And I thought I thought that was a nice I mean it was a trope that I've seen maybe once too many times, but the idea of it the way they did it was repackaged in a really neat way, and a nice callback to the first movie. Right, and it worked well for for this storyline, I think. Yeah. Um, what didn't work well as well for me was the fact that hey, we just happen to have all these very incriminating VHSs uh, <laughs> sitting in this refrigerator in the basement because the cops are so stupid they would never go look in the basement Both refrigerator. <laughs> I I do like the fact that the writer. Uh, slash, you know, director, this Stephen Cognetti. Um, Stephen Cognetti, who, by the way, I believe, if I remember correctly, is the clown. I think he, he plays. I think he plays the clown. Wow, I didn't know that. Um, That's upsetting. Like, 
wait, are we talking the guy who was supposed to be the clown in the first movie, or are we talking the actual... No, I think he's the guy in the costume, the clown costume. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be a shame if he's the, <laughs> the unfortunate soul in the first movie. Uh, anyway, he tries to explain away why, why these VHS tapes and all this incriminating evidence of this cult from the 1980s is still sitting in a refrigerator, uh, a freezer in the basement by saying a throwaway line that just says, uh, yeah, and this town has the cops who can't solve the mystery of like 20 missing people all missing in the same place. So what do you want from them? I, and I appreciate the attempt at using the throwaway line to try to explain it. I, but I just don't think it's enough. Usually it, it, it sucks. Cause I always say just a throwaway line, just the, just to wrap this up. But this one, this isn't, I mean, come on. If there's a, if there's a cult, thing happening and people are dying and we we know how um in this country anyway probably in canada as well we people like jessica will read every single thing there is to know about a cult you know what i'm saying this because it's so weird and out there that people are gonna find those tapes yeah uh, from, what goes in the house and doesn't come out and who even makes a haunted house in the house and doesn't look in the refrigerator in the basement uh, so they find all this stuff, and of course, uh, actually, we're there. We're there. Let's talk about Alex, because uh, we find all this stuff, and of course, uh, David can immediately watch all these videotapes and stuff, and we see Alex, and they got the same actors from the first movie. I I had to look it up to double check because I yeah. it's been a while since I'd seen it. You know, we knew from the first movie that Alex had squandered some money, and this was his attempt to recoup. And save the business, right? So in this story, this particular movie, it goes a little bit more into the backstory of that. And we see some footage of Alex meeting with an unknown an unknown man. Um, this made me roll my eyes so hard. Yeah, it was, it was pretty forced, huh? Well, and in the first movie, it's a little... It's implied that Alice... Alice... <laughs> Alex blues nest egg on this hotel, and that, like, this was the last resort. That's why he's not leaving, that's why he's not pulling out, because he has, this has to work. And then, I didn't, I picked up on some of that, but the director had confirmed that on Reddit, so I got it, like, okay, Alex did this because he's having money issues. And then this scene just beats you over the head with that. You're like, oh, by the way, if you didn't catch it, Alex was having money issues. <laughs> And the, it also, like, retcons it, so Alex was at the house before and met with this entity that was controlling the house or whatever, which I didn't like. Yeah, I it, it, it just feels jammed in there. Like, it just rings not true. It just, it just doesn't fit, you know? It, it almost, like, sours a little bit of the original, because it's just <laughs> shoehorning in lore that we didn't need about this movie. That it's done. It's leave it alone. Don't touch it, you know? I um, mean, this is pretty much when all hell breaks loose because Molly comes in the house when she's not supposed to be. Uh, we saw, we should also mention we've skipped over the entire fact that Brock and his camera guy went with them into the house and they, they were going to record their own thing for their own show. Side well, it only lasts like three minutes, so it's not even that intrusive. Uh, so Brock and his camera guy, they go into the dining room where, the, you know, the cult people all hung themselves. And he's like, well, this is where it was at, wasn't it? So I think he has some powers. I think that he can feel impressions anyway. So he knows there's something heavy there. Then all of a sudden these nooses show up in the ceiling, but they weren't there before. Now they're there. 
And he's like, well, that's weird, but I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. Uh, like, that might not be the best move there, Brock. Come on, bud. I do appreciate a good, like, Ouija board scene with a, like, planchette or whatever they're called. Yeah, planchette, that's correct. I always, like, I don't know. Those, I can, I can fuck with those. <laughs> well, and then the movie cuts to black and says, Brock and his cameraman, uh, uh, Brock Davies, and whatever the cameraman's name is, I can't remember what his cameraman's name was, were never seen again. And then we see them in the movie, like, two minutes later. I also have an issue with um, that editing style, where it... I've heard it done effectively, uh, and this was not that, where it says, you know, stop and say, what happens next is completely unexplained, you know, viewer discretion advised. Right. And so they're, like, telling you, oh, you're going to be scared. It's like, I don't need that. Thanks, <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay with it. It can it can raise the tension because you're like, oh god, what's gonna happen? But this just didn't do it. Well, I mean, this is supposed to be a documentary format, though. Somebody edited it, found all the footage and edited it together. So I I'm okay with it. Too realistic then. (laughs) I you know I I mean I see what you're saying, but personally, I'm okay with it. What I'm not okay with is telling me these people were never seen again, and then we see them on film two two minutes later. Hanging from fucking nooses in the dining room. Yeah, I saw him. He's there. We know what happened to him. It's not like you have a fucking movie that shows what happened to him. It's not like we don't really know what happened to him. He's fucking dead. He hung. Got hung. By the entities. Off screen. Because everything in this movie happens off screen. I have to say, this movie really made me miss Killer Clowns. (laughs) Killer Clowns? The movie or Killer Clowns in general? Killer Clowns in general. The first one just... That was the highlight. And then this one, like... I just. Well, I don't think you're looking hard enough, sir, because there are. We got it coming out later this year. There'll be some killer clowns on that one for you. And then yeah, I'll, I'll drown my sorrows in that. You but need to, and you need like, to invest in. And I'm going to do a little plug here, and I, I did a review of this on the website uh, earlier, so I don't feel bad about giving away. You need to invest in watching Terrifier. Terrifier, right? Yeah. <laughs> Art the clown, that dude. That's a clown for you right there. I you want you want some nasty clown action. That's where you go. I think the clown is just... I think... I think the clown is a manifestation of what I really wanted in this movie, and that was some actual tense scenes. See, here's... Here's what um, I, I don't like in paranormal movies, and th- this will be a theme that will travel into the next movie as well, but they do it a lot better. Um, I just don't like like regular people in my paranormal movies. Like, here's a dude in jeans and a t-shirt standing there, but he's not supposed to be there because he's dead. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I get it. That's kind of creepy, I guess, but no. <laughs> like, the con- the fucking Conjuring movies when the fucking arms come out all the time. That's fuck up. It drives me crazy. I think I would make a really neat ghost. I think I'd be so chill. <laughs> Just, like, throw me in a horror movie. Camera pans to me. What was up, man? Yeah. The, the ghost of Jesse smoking a pipe, reading a book. Does the head nod when the camera hits you. What's up? How you doing? See, they did a lot of scenes in this where it pans past a ghost and you're not supposed to notice, but you notice. I want to seem like that, but just, yeah, me just sitting there like, what's up, man? <laughs> well, and throughout the entire film, from the very beginning until the very end, there are these, there are these alleged cult members, right, that are in these... You know, dark black robes, like any 
a, a cult so, member from any video game you've ever played, um, which is fine. I have no problem with that with that trope. I have no problem with that stereotype. But it's just like it's just people, you know, <laughs> grabbing other people. And I wanted to, I wanted to be scarier. You're trying to have them make good baddies on on Phantasm with those robes in there. Yeah, those creepy ass little dudes. <laughs> yeah. See if you're gonna do that, make them creepy like that. These guys were just like you know, oh. <laughs> guys in black robes, you know, that you can buy anywhere, any costume store. Um, if you want short villains, though, you wait for the next. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so our heroes are all, all four of them are like, the four that are left are like holed up into the bedroom because for some reason this bedroom holds like the crazy powers or something. It was a big plot point in the first film too. Is that where, that's where Diane ended up or something or Sarah ended up or something. Only something happened in this room. <laughs> Nothing ever happens in this room. Uh, it's such a long scene in that room. And nothing happens. Lights go out. Eventually, Molly disappears. While the lights go out, uh, they go to the basement looking for her. She's down there. Everything everything is still set up for the original haunted house, which is kind of weird, you know, that, that, you know, there wouldn't be some sort of crime investigation scene that would have cleared <laughs> that out. But uh, whatever, for the purposes of the movie, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief. You know, if I can believe that Thor is a real god from Asgard, I can certainly believe that these people didn't clear out their house. Apps. What's that? Have you seen those abs? I can believe it. <laughs> His eyes are so cute, and he has such a nice laugh. <laughs> so Molly ends up downstairs, which is really just bait to get everybody downstairs, because there's this explosion, like, in the wall, which which is pretty awesome. I like the explosion, because I was like, holy fuck, there was a fucking explosion. I did not like the explosion. I liked it in, a in, in like, a campy, like, oh my god, what the fuck way, you know what I'm saying? And this was another thing where I'm very... He specifically called out a scene from the first movie that I had forgotten about early on when they're listening to the police tapes. And this woman's getting cut out by static, and she says something about the bodies being dragged into the wall. And then he specifically references the fact that some of the bodies were never found. Right. And this also specifically references the fact that only seven bodies were recovered. And so it's something to do with the wall. But then they keep on with this portal to hell, lake of fire thing. I don't know about that. And then there's the explosion, and it's like, it felt all like, this is the gate to hell thing? This is the lake of fire? <laughs> I and guess, uh, I, you know, it, it, there's an explosion, there's a bunch of red coming out of a hole in the wall. Yeah. Uh, they grab David, they drag him in there. So I guess he's now a, a part of the hotel. He's a, apparently everyone who dies at the hotel is still at the hotel. But it's kind of like walking around, they're like not, not ghosts or anything, there's like people... Yeah, they just they just chill there, which is not a bad afterlife, I guess. There are I've seen worse uh, in That's movies. Why I say put me in there. Yeah, I'll go to the Abaddon right now. And just learn how to play that song on piano. Oh, it's the Abaddon song. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, what ten seconds long. <laughs> um, so David gets drugged into the uh, Lake of Fire, wherever whatever that thing is in the hole in the wall. We never really get a good look at it. Uh, but everybody at this point, it, it gets to be super chaotic and the girls, uh, get taken and Mitch is trying to, uh, run out. He can't find a way out. Eventually he gets, uh, is a attacked by a ghost, a ghost person. I think it's the hitchhiking lady that we we're talking about before, actually. And it's, it's just, I mean, I don't know, man. Like 
in my paranormal movies, I want spooky shit to happen. And a girl with, you know, $10 worth of makeup that you could get at a Halloween costume store, uh, running at the camera and shaking, and then you fall down. It doesn't do it for me. It just doesn't. Uh, yeah, that was a really bad attempt at a scare. Another thing is it freeze frames on her at one point, and it says, this anomaly and any of the other anomalies in the house, we've been unable to identify. Yet, earlier in the movie, they spend time <laughs> identifying. That, that specific person, yeah. <laughs> like, like, even if it's not that specific person, you're wrong anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, so he's out for a while just because some girl ran at the camera funny. Um, you know, I just don't... That, that doesn't do it for me. Almost didn't even feel like an attempt at a scare, but you just knew it was. <laughs> now, there's a couple of times in the film where they do do uh, like a crazy freeze frame or something on to the side of the screen that works. Yeah. Um, but more often than not, it doesn't. Like I like, for example, the guy who was on Facebook live and he went in and all you saw was the leg standing on the steps. And apparently, oh, yeah, apparently his, he stood there with his fo- phone in silence until it blacked out and he was never seen again. That's me. Uh, that. Yeah, that was good. Like that worked for me. Uh, this one, not as not as creepy. Like I said, I could recreate that face for ten bucks at the Halloween store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and is it a knock on the special effects? Yeah, yeah, it is because you know I would expect I would expect if Shutter purchased the rights to the film for Shutter to have put some money into the film. I think I could be completely wrong, and maybe this what's what's his name? Spagnetti, Cognetti, Stephen Cognetti. <laughs> Maybe uh, Stephen Cognetti had to foot the bill for all this again, so he's just using what he knows. That's why the lighting is, you know, is what it is. I don't know, but it seems to me like, you know, if you're on a major streaming service, because the first film was released straight straight to video on demand, which is the modern day straight to DVD. But I have to think he had more money for this one. I would just guess. But but seeing the Critters TV series, maybe that's what Shudder wants to go for. Maybe they want that sci-fi that sci-fi money, that sci-fi channel money. Let's make bad films on purpose. I'm not saying that this is a uh, bad film uh, on purpose at all. It's it's not definitely not in the same realm as Sharknado or something like that. Uh, but I'm saying uh, special effects could have been upgraded. A lot of the special effects felt forced. Unnecessary. Yeah. And even in the first movie, you saw another ghostly person and it looked better than that. Well, when Mitch wakes up, we're kind of at uh, Endgame here. He's in the dining room with the two girls are strapped to chairs on the other end of the dining room. Mac and Alex from the first film are sitting at the dining room table. I think they're ghosts, I guess. Their face look <laughs> kind of sallow. Uh, but I have to hand it to them, in particular the actor of Alex in this scene. Because he sits there and the camera is looking past him, but he's on frame for probably a good four minutes in one unbroken shot. And he doesn't blink. He doesn't move. Guy, like, slams his fists on the table. He doesn't flinch. God, that's got to suck. <laughs> yeah, they're literally just sitting there staring at each other like they're, they're residents of the hotel now. The little twists here in the movie, so if you haven't watched it yet, 
and you've gotten this far, you probably don't care, honestly, <laughs> if you've gotten this far into our review and you haven't watched it, is that in the morning mystery show, once everyone has left the set, one of the production assistants comes up to the main host of the show and is like, oh, uh, the guy who was supposed to represent the town in this segment uh, called and apologized that he couldn't make it because he got in a car accident, even though we just watched him on set, right? Secretly clairvoyant, uh, the guy who was representing the town, and I use the quotation marks on that, the town, on the show Morning Mysteries was Andrew Tunney, the guy who led the cult and is now in charge of all of the roaming ghosts of the Abaddon Hotel. And he doesn't actually wear glasses either. That's the twist. Dun dun dun. Uh, I, see, I guess I called it as soon as he had the conversation with Alex earlier. It was such an obvious twist. It wasn't even <laughs> executed well. It, was, it, was, it felt like it's such an unnecessary addition to the lore. It, well, I mean, I guess I appreciate the effort, but it doesn't. It is unnecessary. Oh, the, he did make, he, He's a good actor in that scene, at least. I don't like the voice change effects. That was unnecessary, but. Well, I know I, I'm going to disagree with you on the voice change effects. And I'm going to disagree with you because I wanted something to tell me that this dude was dead. I guess. That's and a, just a, and a demon. Guy. Because otherwise he's just a guy in a suit walking around. That's true. I'll give you that. Um, and they did manage to get the lady who played Diane in the first film to make a cameo appearance with some $10 Halloween store makeup on her face playing the piano. <laughs> so there's that. You think she actually learned that song or is dubbed? That's pretty tricky. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, a, a man with no fingers could learn that song. <laughs> and play it on the piano correctly. It isn't necessary because this guy could really, the, the, the Andrew Tunney character could really be anybody. It doesn't have to. It's, it's, it's a little too cute. I wish almost it was like, you know, maybe like Brock or something. Or just something out of the left field. Just... If it, if it had to be someone, shock me with it. Especially when, uh, especially when he's like, I've been, you know, trapped in this hotel for 30 years. Well, not really, because you were just on TV, bro. Also, like I just, just like singing. I just saw you on TV. You're so also you just singing the opening line of Be Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast, which came out in 1991. So, well, I mean, good time to jump down to the theaters. Or maybe, you know. Maybe the pay-per-view still works in the hotel. Maybe you can still rent it. But we literally just saw you out of the hotel. So you haven't been stuck here, man. So don't act like this is this is an issue for you. Basically, what Andrew wants to happen is for Mitch to choose one person of the three of them that are left to walk out. Because somebody has to walk out and tell the story so that we can lure more people in. I don't know why he wants more people to come in. Maybe he feeds off of it. Maybe he gets more powerful that way. Who knows? We also know that Jessica, who's the, you know, the, the head person and the insider, she's the person pushing all this through. We also know that she was picked up by the police roaming around, all beat up. And during intermittent parts of the movie, she's kind of giving her story in a police confessional, um, room kind of a way. You'd think as soon as this investigation started, that they're like, oh, you were from there, and they shut it down. Well, I guess they imply that they didn't know it was from that house. Yeah, somebody found her roaming and brought her to the police station. I think it's I'll, the story. I'll give a pass on that. Yeah, and she's all beat up, and she says, oh, there's so much blood. 
my blood and his blood and her blood. We can assume that she's the person uh, who got out. So Mitch doesn't want to make a choice. And I don't think, it, given the same scenario, that I would want to make a choice. I'd just be like, I don't know. Just fucking pick somebody, dude. I'm not picking somebody. I'm not living with that. <laughs> See, I wouldn't want to live with any of this. And that's why I would pick someone else. <laughs> they, they take one of the choices away by stabbing Molly in the belly with a knife. And she dies. Uh, which, you know, I guess you probably, yeah, there you go. The thing is, really, Molly, like, that's what's killing you? Like, a, like you got stabbed in the stomach. Like, I've seen people in horror movies and other movies in real life who were, like, hacked up and still lived through that. But one little stab in the stomach. I mean, I guess you can die from that. It seems... Maybe she's not dead. Yeah, but maybe she'll probably show up in the third one. But she doesn't show up again in this one. She was never seen again. <laughs> she was never seen again until the next frame of the film. So they make a big deal about uh, the one person is supposed to walk out, and we know that Jessica's already out. So you can make that assumption that she's the one who got to walk out. But twists here, clairvoyant, there's a twist. The twist is, if you if you watch the first one, I know that you have, uh, you know that the person that they were interviewing, that was the one sole survivor from the the group, the Hell House group, yeah. the cat, the 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 crew of the Hell House haunted house. Uh, was actually dead the whole time. Yeah, and it takes some real balls to pull the same twist twice. We find out, just briefly, just like two or three seconds, if you like looked away from your screen, you may have missed it, uh, that Jessica's probably dead as well. Probably once, shame on me. Um, Who has a go? <laughs> well, and it's funny because when when I remember that, I remember that twist from the first movie, because they they allude to it in this movie as well. I mean, mm-hmm. throughout they don't run from it at all, um, which is ballsy. You know, if you're going to do it again, to bring it up, to get yeah, remind people, to bring it up, be like, hey, remember when we interviewed that person? She's really a ghost. And then, do, and amazing. then does, and then do it again like 15 minutes later. Um, yeah. So in the police investigation room. She kind of turns into a ghost when the police looks away. So we can assume that Mitch, I guess, walked out of the hotel after he killed Jessica. Yeah. Because he took so some... see him again. Yeah, he, he took some sort of weapon. Um, Jessica's yelling off camera. We don't see it. She's screaming, screaming, screaming. There's sounds of a struggle. And then her screaming stops. So I can assume that either he killed her or he was one of the factors in her death. And now she's in the house. I'm sure we'll see her in the third movie. So here's another thing that I think we might disagree on. But when she turned to the ghost in the police interview and the cop was looking away, that was another thing that I just didn't need. I know you had mentioned that you don't, you know, you'd rather not be a regular person. And yeah, this is definitely more ghosty, but I just like, well, but you have to have that to signify the twist. If you want to do the twist. Yeah. And I'm okay with the twist. It doesn't... I, I don't think it's, like, you know, the sixth sense or anything. It didn't offend me, but I didn't need it. <laughs> well, I'm okay with the callback to the first film. Um, but one thing that I was going to mention, which is a nice setup, is... So the whole this whole documentary is produced by Russell Wynn and the Russell Wynn Group. Mm-hmm. Um, who's just this billionaire that's mentioned a few times. And... At one point, the host, the the, the the bad actor of the talk show. 
<laughs> she said that Russell Wynn has been getting tapes of this and compiling them for his own purposes. And then for some reason she goes on to mention that he also has this new like walkthrough art installation called Insomnia. Yeah, yeah, it's like a throwaway line, yeah. It's a throwaway line. Well, the plot for Hell House LLC 3 is that guests both past and present will be forced to battle for their souls as all is revealed in the Abaddon Hotel and the evil that dwells there. And it's on the verge of being torn down when it's purchased by Russell Wynn, who's played by Gabriel T. Chaitry, as his new home for the popular interactive show Insomnia. And then he invites journalist, of course, a journalist, Vanessa Shepard, played by Elizabeth Vermilia, and her crew to record everything leading up to the performance, but of course, Hell on Earth. And it's called Hell House 3 Lake of Fire, if I remember correctly. Well, I'll tell you what, Clairvoyant, whenever that, whenever that comes out, we'll have to get together and we'll put out a bonus episode. Just that movie. But wait, there's more. There's <laughs> also, it looks like, a Shudder original TV series called The Abaddon Tapes. Well, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a prequel currently in development. That makes sense, because when they admit, when I read that this was going to be the middle part of a trilogy, I kind of thought maybe the third movie would be a prequel, based on those tapes that they found. So they're definitely setting up everything for more movies and more more media in regards to this storyline. I think... They're making a franchise out of it. Yeah, I'll just remember the first one and forget that it became a franchise. <laughs> that's what we should do for... Mo- as, as I've discovered over 300 episodes of franchise horror... That's good, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's a running theme for a lot of them. Um, but that's the end of this movie. That's where it ends. Like, it ends open in... I'm sorry, it ends open-ended like that. We do get some, like, during the credits, some um, footage of Mac and... Alex at a diner discussing their financial pitfalls from the first movie as, a, as like a bonus. Yeah, it's, it is unnecessary, but it's also kind of fan service, like just a reward for people who watch yeah, both movies. Yeah, it was movies. nice seeing the guys again. The guys, <laughs> the bros, the gang. But it was also just felt like it was, cause he mentioned on Reddit that one of the things that a lot of people didn't get was why they chose to stay at the house. And so he had, he says that he often has to explain the financial problems angle. And so that this movie felt like really beating you over the head with just so you know, they did it because they had financial problems. Well, honestly, if, if you make a film or you make, you write a book or you make anything, you know, that's a storyline wise and people aren't understanding what you're trying to get at, then you fail, you know, in your, in your medium. So maybe he's just trying to correct that. I, Um, I don't, fault him for correcting it, but I feel like he overcorrects it very much. It does, it does get beat in your head. It was just good to see Mac again. Because when I saw oh. Mac when I saw Mac again, I was like, oh yeah, I remember now. He was like the only likable character in that whole first movie. Very recommendable <laughs> despite never seeing him before. I love Mac. I love Mac. He should be in all the movies. Uh, so let's go ahead, we got to go ahead and uh, rate this one real quick here, uh, Claire Boyant. On a scale of 1 to 10, in case you forgot, you can use halves, <laughs> you know. Who knows? Maybe it's out of 100 now. <laughs> no, it's still out of 10. We kept that format. We don't want to confuse the listeners too much. Sure. So, I liked the first one. Uh, I wouldn't say I liked it a lot, but I liked it. And I was excited going into the second one, and I felt like my hopes were almost immediately dashed. And 
But I didn't, like, lose faith. Like, hey, maybe it'll pick up. Um, it didn't. It, and it just, I never, it's not a long time since I had a movie where I rolled my eyes, let alone more than once. And I was so disappointed <laughs> that this one turned out. Let's say two. Two out of ten. Wow. That's and really it, low, bro. It was, it was not <laughs> for me. Though, I think... And, and from, I mean, reading what the director had to say, he, he posted this before the second one came out. Uh, and he seems like a passionate guy. And he seems like he really cares about this movie, this universe, and genre. And it also looks like in the press release or whatever for the third one, he mentioned going back to more something about. It almost implied that he knew that the second one was a failure, and he was trying to model the third one more off the first one. So maybe that raises my hope for that. Well, I didn't. I didn't get an opportunity because because I mismanaged my time today. Um, I did not get the opportunity to look at many reviews of the movie. Yeah, which I'm not I, sure. I usually like to do that. <laughs> um, but from just the titles of the reviews, I don't think it was very well received. Well, and, and the fact that it doesn't have a Wikipedia page. I mean, if people liked it. Somebody would make it a fucking Wikipedia page. My my point of view on it is, I, I believe the first film was pretty serviceable. I think I'm I'm really I'm really disappointed with Shutter. I, like I feel like their content. How can I get excited for the new tales of the crypt that they're doing when I have this movie oh, no. and freaking critters, the critters series to go by? Like I can't. Um, are they going to ruin the Crypt Keeper? Maybe it's fucking Shutter, man. A lot of great movies on there. I think it's a, I think it's a worthy service. I just wish they would up their game when it comes to the original. So maybe they will. Uh, they can inexplicably CGI. They can. Um, well, they're not going to. They're not going to spring for a CGI, man. Have you seen this movie? Oh, it's not going to be expensive CGI. It's going to be like uh, the the $50 Crypt Keeper you buy at the Halloween store. And somebody's going to be puppeting him from the back. It's still a photo of the Crypt Keeper. Um, so, besides from that, I think there... I, I'm not as harsh on this film as you are, apparently. <laughs> uh, I think there's enough here still that... Like you said, the, the, the director, the producer, the guy who wrote it, he's passionate about... The storyline subject, and I think that shows enough in enough of the scenes that I can pick out enough to make me say, uh, you, yeah, give it a watch. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to give it a four out of ten, which for me is like, hey, give it a watch. Um, especially especially, if, you, especially if you've seen the first movie. Yeah, I think if, if I wasn't comparing it directly, I'd probably give it a four. But as a sequel, I'd say it gets a two. <laughs> I, want, I wanted it to be scarier than it is. Yes. When you're watching a found footage film, there's a lot that you have to just accept in order to make it work. And when you're not getting scared and the, and the imagery isn't there for the scenes that's not there, uh, and the acting is noticeably subpar, then you're thinking about, then that you start thinking about, well, why isn't the guy, why is the guy still fucking filming? You know, whereas if you have, uh, something like Blair Witch, which, uh, you know, is kind of the pinnacle for found footage films. You're not thinking that. You might be thinking, why is the camera shaking all the time? And why is this chick got snot coming out of her nose? <laughs> but you're not thinking about why are they still filming, you know? Uh, the failures of um, found footage as a genre in general has its falling, it, its um, failings. I propose that we make a found footage movie, but a realistic found footage movie. Where less happens than regular found footage movies, and also the battery cuts out about halfway through, and it never gets <laughs> It's just you sitting in the corner smoking a pipe. <laughs> this is this is reality. 
Uh, so with that, are you ready to move, go back in time to a time before both of us were born? Which is saying something because I'm old as fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was born in the disco era. Um, so it's saying something when we find a movie that we're both not around for. So now we're ready to move on to 1973, The Legend of Hell House. Uh, Clairvoyant, had you heard of this movie before? I had not. Really? Because uh, I, 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 I... if it had anything to do with The Haunting of Hill House. I'm not really. <laughs> the Haunting of Hill House is the Shirley Jackson book that was turned into The Haunting, and then there was a remake made, and now there's a Netflix series uh, <laughs> as well. And The Legend of Hell House is actually uh, based on a novel, Hell House, written by Richard Matheson. Um, whom well, you, you, he's the connection to Hell House LLC because at the start of the movie, the first one, they're uh, playing a trivia game and they're trying to guess I Am Legend, which was also written by Richard Matheson. Probably one of his most famous works, if not his most famous work. And the Twilight Zone episode, the uh, 20,000 feet one. And he also, yeah, he, wrote, he wrote a lot of the Twilight Zones, actually. A lot of the, lot of the early ones, for sure. Also wrote like Stir of Echoes. So he's a, a well-known uh, horror author, <laughs> a well-known horror author. His Hell House novel was kind of not bashed so much as people saying, you know, this seems very much like Shirley Jackson's Hill House movie, <laughs> like or book. Literally, there's only one letter difference. Yeah. Um. So it's no. been criticized as being kind of derivative of that. But my take on that would be, any haunted house book is going to have a lot of the same tropes. If I wrote a haunted house book, it's going to be very similar probably to those two books. And I've always wanted to write a story that started with it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> it's kind of interesting how, now don't get me wrong, I love The Haunting of Hill House Netflix show. I recommend it to your listeners, whether you do or not. I've but, not seen it, so you can recommend it to me as well. But uh, it's interesting that this movie had more in common than the Netflix series did. Really? Have you read the book? No, but I saw both movies. I have the book. Bloody Brody lent it, lent it to me years ago. It's been sitting in my shelf. <laughs> but I saw both movies, including the... Well, movie now he's going to hear this, and he's going to realize, oh yeah, now we got that book back. Give it back to me, oh, asshole. He knows. <laughs> if we're comparing it to at least the, the original movie, The Haunting, because we don't talk about the other Haunting movie... <laughs> I think you'll be good. But the trope of, you know, psychic investigators going into a haunted house, I mean, even... With a skeptic. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be similar. The haunted houses are going to be similar. I mean, have you seen Rose Red, the miniseries written by Stephen King? It's the same, it's, it's very much the same, similar plots. A bunch of different psychics go into a haunted house, and the shit happens, some of them die. I mean, that's just how... <laughs> A bunch of skeptics going in. <laughs> no one believes anything. <laughs> well, not not. Well, there's one skeptic in this, but he's still a, a parapsychologist. Yeah, no, but I want just a movie of all skeptics, and they just like all people. Oh, like, oh gotcha. I'm a real hardcore skeptic. Right. I would explain away everything that happened. Just get a bunch of me in that house, and scary stuff's happening. Was like, nah. I mean, but are you a skeptic or are you a naysayer? Because there's, those are two different things. Oh, you know, I guess I'd be a naysayer. I'm, I'm well beyond skeptic. Because some like, people, yeah. some people uh, 
outright refused to believe anything, no matter what the evidence provided them is. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, not to get too into a psychological profile of you, but that sometimes if you want if, if to believe something, changes everything else, and you're like, I, it's just easier for me not to believe. Does that make sense? I think you unlocked something in me. Yeah. Oh, I just I was listening to I was just listening to a podcast about it earlier today. <laughs> Let's just say I'd be quicker to irradiate a house than accept that there were ghosts. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's fair. Unlike the first film, Hell House LLC two, obviously you're probably not going to be able to recognize any of the actors. From that film, but then like that film, this film has a lot of uh, it's got some names. Yeah, I got some names in it. The one that stood out to me the most, uh, probably for you as well, was Roddy McDowell. Uh, see, I recognized him, but I didn't get a chance to look him up. So I had no idea what I recognized him from. Okay, well, you're—I mean, you're quite a bit younger than I am, but Roddy McDowell um, is probably most well known for playing some of the lead roles in all of the original Planet of the Apes films. Oh, Roddy McDowell played Cornelius and Caesar in the in Planet, oh. all the Planet of the Apes films, and those are like the main characters. See, that's, yeah, that's yeah. Um, well, no wonder I didn't recognize him though. I mean, he's had a really good career. Obviously, he's a name that you're going to recognize. And if you, even if you don't know what he's from, you know, hey, this guy's famous from back in the day. Um, he did some of those all star casts, uh, catastrophe movies that were real big in the seventies. Like the year before this movie, he was in the Poseidon Adventure. Uh, well, in the 70s, they would get these all-star casts at the time together, like, you know, 10 or 12 yeah, actors, A-list actors. Right, exactly, like the Marvel guys. And they would put them in some some sort of catastrophic event, like a plane crash. This uh, The Poseidon Adventure was a cruise ship that turned over, and they had to escape that. Or uh, the burning, the towering inferno was a skyscraper that was on fire. That kind of stuff. So Are they, they playing themselves like that Seth Rogen, James Franco movie? No, but it is similar to that. They're not playing themselves. They're actually playing characters. But that was a big uh, fad in the 70s, which led to the like, airplane was a parody of that fad. The movie Airplane. Oh, that brings a new layer to Airplane. Horror fans would probably more recognize him uh, as former horror host in the movie uh, Fright Night. Peter Vincent from the 80s. If you've never seen Fright Night... Put that on your list. What if I've heard of Fright Night? Well, everyone's heard of Fright Night. If, you're, if you haven't heard of Fright Night, you're not allowed to be on the podcast. That's just how it works. Uh, so Roddy McDowell plays, so I think, Fisher. His name is Fisher in this movie. Yeah, Daniel he, Fisher? Yeah, he... Daniel? I believe it was. But they just called him Fisher a lot. No, it's Ben, ben Fisher. Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin Fisher. Uh, Daniel was the name of the ghost. That's right. So Benjamin, he plays Benjamin Fisher, who's like a psychic, whom uh, has been in the house before, and was the only one that escaped unscathed, but doesn't want to open up in the house uh, because he's afraid of that. We'll kill him, which, you know, sure, I would be afraid of that, too. It's implied that he was 15 when he was in the house the first time? Yeah, so this would be a, this would be, put him square, like, late 30s. In this movie? Yeah, because they said he was 20 years before, and then at one point they mentioned you haven't been, like, hot shit since you were 15 or something. That seems young. <laughs> seems young to be putting yourself in danger, sir. Uh, so the other lead role is played by Clive Revel. Yeah. Who's had a very distinguished, like, stage career, first of all. <laughs> and he's been in... Star Wars, right? Yeah, he was the voice of Emperor Palpatine, actually, in Empire Strikes Back. 
he was just a voice until um, Lucas got a hold of it in the 90s and replaced his voice with Ian McDermott. So no longer in the Star Wars yeah. <laughs> franchise, but it started out that way. According uh, to George Lucas, he was never in Star Wars. And Clive Rebel, uh, as good an actor as he may be, he was in several, he was in lots of really big films, he was a, a top grade A stage actor, and I can believe he's a, you know, he's a really good actor, but he has the most punchable face <laughs> like I just wanted to punch this guy, like, I, and, and probably just because he's a really good actor, and the character he was playing was super smug and arrogant, you know. Yeah, it's good. Um, and then our supporting uh, girls are Pamela Franklin and Gail Honeycutt. Both have had distinguished, um, successful careers, if nothing as notable as playing the Emperor in Empire Strikes Back. No, I have never seen Pamela Franklin in a movie, but she's beautiful. She is a looker. I have to like look around like what else has she done? <laughs> <laughs> You're looking for X rated stuff, weren't you? <laughs> Did she yes. do erotica? <laughs> but it looks like she retired pretty pretty early. Well, it sounds like she got typecast into horror and then she retired shortly after that. Yeah, she did it's some horror but if she's happy, whatever. She did some horror know, films now she's old. Immediately after this, uh, she's 69 now. Her and um, uh, Gail Honeycutt are both still with us. So Pamela Franklin would be in her early 20s then, I was I guess they do call her like a kid. Yeah, because she's 69 now. 23. Um, so the storyline of this film is there's a millionaire guy. His name is Mr. Douche. <laughs> uh, which is, uh, you know, German for German. unfortunate for him. Uh, he has collected this group of psychics and or a parapsychologist in the case of Clive Revels, Dr. Lionel Barrett, to go into the house for a week, try to figure stuff out, try to clean it out, try to tell them if the afterlife is real, and in exchange they're each going to get $100,000. Uh, which I would I don't think I have to ask the question, would you go into the haunted house and investigate for a week for $100,000? Of course we would, right? <laughs> yeah, especially since I would basically be the like Lionel Barrett, but less educated. Right, as, as, as you're standing there and, and by yourself in the kitchen and knives are getting thrown at you by an unseen enemy. You're like, this isn't happening. Like, this isn't real. Magnetism. <laughs> yes, it's the reversal of the poles. <laughs> exactly. Where's my hundred grand? Uh, so basically, this guy's old, and I think he wants to figure out you know, what's going to happen to him after he dies. Right? So he owns the Hell House, it's called. It's, it's a house that's technically the Belesco house. Uh, there was a eccentric... Very eccentric, rich man named Emmerich Belasco, who apparently in the house is a giant, giant mansion, by the way. Huge house. Giant um, for a giant man. Used to have, apparently, like, orgies, um, in- incest, the beast. And they, they just listed every bad thing you could think of. Beasti- bestiality, uh, necrophilia. Yeah, it was all mentioned. And this, it's also insinuated there was a lot of occult activity going on there. Well, I don't think it was insinuated. I think it was outright said. Insinuated maybe some cult activity, but definitely some occult activity. Does that make sense? The difference between the yeah. two of them? That's where that's the kind of house where you sleep with your eyes wide shut. Exactly. Um, so these four people, we have uh, Dr. Fisher. Well, we have Benjamin Fisher, who is the uh, psychic who can uh, control things. We have physical 
Yeah. We have um, Mrs. Well, this is Mrs., but it's Miss Tanner, um, who is... Mental medium, I guess. Uh, so we have Miss Tanner, who is allegedly a more closed uh, medium psychic. And we have uh, Dr. Barrett, who's a parapsychologist, um, whom is more skeptical. But, I mean, he's a parapsychologist, so he has to understand that there are some things out there that are strange about... Yeah, and he knew it was... Like, when it came to, like, the medium scenes and, like, ectoplasm and stuff, he knew what he was doing. He was, like, reading, like, all the ghost hunting machines and stuff. He's, yeah, so, he's he, like, so he knows that go- he knows that ghosts exist in the afterlife, but I think that in this film, he's more skeptical about what's actually happening and who's controlling the action. Yeah, he's a fake skeptic. We excommunicate him. <laughs> he did, he got, he got his... Membership to Skeptical Monthly rescinded. <laughs> uh, and he's brought his wife with him for reasons. So this is the setting for the movie Legend of Hell House. Uh, and it, the weird thing is this billionaire guy or millionaire guy sets them up so that the week they spend in the house is the week before Christmas. Yeah, it's so close to being a Christmas movie. Well, the <laughs> climax <laughs> takes place on Christmas Eve. Shame could have been a Christmas movie up there with Die Hard. Well, and and not even like a single wreath at the house. Yeah, I thought they at least no Christmas turkey, no reading of "Twas the Night Before Christmas" by the fireplace. One thing I did like about this movie that I'd like to mention because it's how we know it was Christmas Eve is they like date stamp every scene, but not just date stamp; they like date stamp, time stamp it. Which is really unusual. We don't need to know you. It's like eight thirty-two a.m. or whatever. But I like that because it made it feel more like a case study almost. Well, and also they have to be there for a week. Yeah. So you know how many days have passed, and you, as a, a viewer, I think even if you're doing it uh, subconsciously, you're betting that things are going to ramp up as the week gets further along. If everything, if, if you're there for an entire week and it starts on Sunday and the climax happens on Tuesday, well, that would be a stupid movie. But a more realistic experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as we previously mentioned, uh, Mr. Fisher does not want to open up because he was there 20 years before. He states at one point in the movie, I'm literally just here. I'm not going to open up. I'm literally just here to spend the seven days and collect my $100,000. I would advise you to do the same. Yeah, and that's why I identify with both Barrett and Fisher, because Fisher's just like, hey, I'm just here to get my money and leave. I'm not going to help. <laughs> but that makes sense. Yeah, and I would do the exact same. I actually actually watched this movie first. Usually I watch them in the order we're going to podcast on them. Uh, but I watched this one a few days ago, and this is just the one, the one I was looking the most forward to. That's why I picked that one to watch first. Because I'd heard of it, I just never watched it. I think this is kind of a low-key horror cred movie. I can see it. Like, if you're at, say, a horror convention, or you're in a discussion with people who are in the horror community about horror movies and they bring it up, I think they're expecting that you've watched it. So you, yeah. have, to, so you have to fake it until you make it. If you're listening to this <laughs> podcast and you've never watched it, you could use this podcast knowledge and those conversations. See, we're bringing content to your life to help you out. Honestly, if someone mentions Legend of Hell House, just be like, that Pamela Franklin, though, right? Am I right? And then the album, huh? Huh? And they'll be like, yeah, you did see it. <laughs> the, the, the reason I mentioned that, because we're going from that to the acting in the house LLC, too. 
Uh, because I think Roddy McDowell, both Roddy McDowell, I think everybody in this movie is really good, actually. Yeah. Because Roddy McDowell as Benjamin Fisher is super interesting to me, but he doesn't fucking do anything. But I don't know why I'm interested in the character, you know what I'm saying? Like, for the, it's an hour and a half long, I'm gonna say for the first hour and ten minutes, he doesn't do anything except for stalk around and have drinks. Yeah. You know what, I was thinking when I watched this movie, and I don't know if it exists, but I think it's just because it's, you know, kind of one location, four characters type deal, is that this would make a really good stage play, and I'm not sure if anyone's done that. I don't know. It definitely could be, for sure, yeah. It's like low special effects, you know, minimal characters setting. I think it'd be fun. Let's do it. Get get uh, get working on the first draft of the screenplay, or the, uh, what's it called? The, um, shit. The Script? Stage, stage play? I think it's a stage play. I used to know, man. And, and Clive Revel does such a good job at being this smug parapsychologist, I'm in charge, um, asshole guy that I want to punch him in the face. <laughs> so congratulations to him. Now he's 90 years old, so I probably won't punch him in the face. But you still have a chance. But if I saw him, I'd be like, dude, I watched Legend of Hell House, I wanted to punch you right in the face. What if he gives you the option? What if he says do it? He can't, he can't punch a 90-year-old dude, man. You're not winning that war. No matter what happens, you're not winning that war. Uh, So almost immediately when we get into the house, Miss Tanner starts having physical attacks by a ghost that she claims to be that of the son of uh, Emmerich Belasco, whose name is Daniel. Daniel Tabasco. And the thing that stands out with this is that she's not a, like, as we said earlier, uh, Fisher is the physical medium, Tan is the mental medium, and so the fact that she's experiencing physical whatever phenomena is strange for her. She's like, this isn't my expertise. Which right. I didn't know there was different types of mediums to do. Oh, oh yeah. But when you're a medium, do you choose? Can you train to be one or the other? Or is it just something that comes with the your inherent abilities or whatever you have. Yeah, I think you can probably... I, th- I think you can probably train um, to definitely enhance some skills, but I also think that you have some natural abilities there that might push you in one direction as well. So maybe she's just better at being a physical medium than she thought she was. Uh, are this seven entities just really strong? I think that's what they're trying to get at. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and Fisher shutting off, so he can't use him. To portray the message. So he's using the other psychic, even though she's allegedly not um, a physical medium. But he uses her to speak at first. He speaks through her, which was a pretty cool overdub for 1973, I thought. And actually, what I was really impressed with for 1973 was when uh, Dr. Barrett wanted to do an experiment. So he, like, cuffed her to a chair, put her in a trance, and we saw the ectoplasm... Yeah. Uh, come from her fingernails into like little hands and go into uh, a bottle, which I thought was a really cool effect for 1973. Probably. I mean, this, this movie, I wouldn't say is designed to be scary, not in the, especially not in the way that, you know, the Hell House LLC movies were designed to be scary. Right. But that was a really like, uh, you know, like spooky, like eerie scene. 
with the ectoplasm. Well, I think that this was what was scary back then. This is pre-Exorcist. Yeah. So Exorcist kind of changed the game. And yeah, it's just a different type of horror, really. They're almost different genres. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at, for example, something that came out a little bit earlier, that's this, that's kind of the same genre. If you look at um, House on Haunted Hill, another Hill House <laughs> reference, um, <laughs> and look at the difference between that movie and this one, I think you can see definitely uh, the progression of atmosphere and scare tactics, for sure. Yeah. And there, it, it's not a you know, a cleaned off medical <laughs> plastic skeleton floating in water like it is in House in Haunted Hill. So I was actually really impressed by that special effects. Yeah, it was too. For the time period. Like today, I wouldn't blink an eye at it, but knowing this movie was from 1973. And one of the reasons that um, I actually been on the podcast this week is I think that you appreciate films this this old and the atmosphere they set in a bigger house than maybe the average horror fan does at this point. I like atmosphere. I think that's really important. Well, I mean, this house is obviously filmed not on a set, but in a house somewhere. In a giant house. Or or if it is a set, it's a humongous set. Yeah, that's true. Which is different than what we're used to today, because it's all going to be, you know, CGI, or like this this, this found footage film where they could have literally made the movie in about three rooms, just shooting at different angles if they wanted to. This this is an old school, big giant set haunted house very gothic feeling to it uh, and it's just an atmosphere that is a personal preference of mine yeah i'm finding as i go through these movies the older movies i'm finding a newfound respect for just because i i more enjoy that uh as an audience uh, compared to something a little more hectic and smaller today i like you i watched this one before i watched the hell house llc too and just even the shift from this to the original Hell House LLC, it was like totally, yeah, it was like almost like they're different genres. And I'm like, I really miss the, you know, they don't do it enough with that sort of just atmosphere where that's such a big focus over just spooking you. Yeah, and every, now everything would be smaller and more CGI. And even though the CGI is really good at what it does and it, and it, provides so many more opportunities for what you can show on screen. You just don't get that same ambience with it. Yeah. Besides the voice and besides um, the ectoplasm coming out of her fingers, uh, Miss Fisher is constantly harassed by this ghost that she believes to be Daniel Belesco. Poor girl. It's like only her. <laughs> well, At one point, Barrett pisses off Tanner and then he gets the ghost's ire for a little bit. But for the most part, it's just Poor Miss Forrest Tanner getting attacked by this ghost. Yeah, he does get attacked at the dinner table. Uh, so all of the glassware explodes, and, and then there was some, there was something that had like nails in it was coming out his head, some sort of serving tray or something that he got out of the way. But he got cut up pretty good when he pissed he pissed her off. Good, uh, yeah. Dodging these flying things. Well, and then he pulled a uh, U, apparently. He was like, well, this is your fault. And I'm like, well, she was just, no, she was sitting there. Obviously, things were flying at you. You obviously saw she wasn't throwing them at you. Um, I guess that's what you would do. Somehow, I don't know how you did this. This is your fault. If I was facing a situation like this, I, I can't say for sure what my reaction would be. Hopefully, it would but be... It uh, would not be what his reaction was. Hopefully, it would be a quick reaction and get out of the way of that, those fucking nails, man. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, my reaction would be different than his because I would not have as quick reaction time as he does. <laughs> yeah. Here, here was another thing about about this film. Like, they're in the house. There's only four of them. It's a humongous, humongous mansion, correct? Yeah. Um, the, but somehow they have like three, the four, five course meals every meal. Who's making this? Yeah, exactly. Who's making this food for you guys? I know. I know there's a lot of downtime that we're not seeing, but I don't think Dr. Barrett's slaving away to make to, to make Dr. a rack Barrett's of lambs. Just because she's not doing anything else. Like, she's not contributing to this investigation. So, if she's also just sitting there and they're, like, making their own food, that's a shame. Which <laughs> also is a weird relationship because his, his, his wife, Anne comes with him she's like i always come with you right so you would think they would be really close right if she's going these haunted houses with her husband they must have this really close nice relationship uh but it's the exact opposite isn't it like he's yeah, he, they're not, he's cold he's pretty sexually repressed yeah he's he's a cold person right he's not a cuddler so to say he obviously isn't isn't killing it in the sack so to speak we don't know that <laughs> well we kind of do know that because after they f- they fucked with um, Miss Tanner enough, the ghost said, "You know, we're gonna fuck with the other girl that's here, and she obviously wants to get laid, and her husband isn't getting the job done. So we're gonna show her some, we're gonna show her some provocative things with shadows, and then we're gonna possess her to uh, a couple nights in a row, go downstairs and try to put the moves on Mister Fisher, whom can I just say this to Mister Fisher's credit." He has much more willpower than I would have had. <laughs> See, the skeptic in me says that Anne wasn't possessed. She just got really uh, inspired by those erotic novels she saw on the show. <laughs> uh, but she does go down. She does go down twice. Debauchery. Uh, to make drinks, she fills up uh, the bosom of some statue, and you know comes on to Fisher and very much tells him, "Bang me!" At one point, she gets naked. I mean, we don't see anything. He slaps her. We don't see anything. He, he does. He does slap her. It, but hey, it brought her out of her trance. And one time, she gets caught by her husband uh, doing this. But you know, to Fisher's credit, he's holding her off and not. Yeah. Uh, he's saying, "No, this is the house doing you. This is not you." So there's a little bit of marital strife for a minute, but it doesn't go anywhere. If I was her, I would say that Fisher. Is not my type, but I get that there's only one other guy in the house that's not her husband. But I think she could do better. <laughs> well, also, he's not smug and arrogant enough for her. <laughs> that's apparently what she likes in men. One thing um, that's interesting is that her husband does catch her, and she explains that she just has no idea why she would possibly do that. I guess he is a skeptic, but. I mean, every sign points to it's the house. Right. And he doesn't seem to take that into consideration. No, I think that he does. He doesn't really dwell on it very much. Yeah. I think that he does take that into consideration, actually. Because because they get get through it pretty quickly. They sure do. Like, we don't don't have time for marital strife. We're in the middle of an investigation. (laughs) Every investigation we go on. Every investigation, you're nailing the other guy in the house. Uh, Miss Tanner gets attacked by a black cat in a scene that was yeah. obviously like 
some sort of stuffed cat that she just put on her face and started See, wriggling around. Sometimes it was very clearly a real cat, which is what concerned me. Because <laughs> this was the era where <laughs> they didn't have a whole lot of laws regarding animal safety in movies. Well, she's convinced if they find uh, the body of Daniel Belasco and give it a proper barrel, that he'll move on and everything's going to be okay. She's going to be fine. Uh, which they do. She somehow leads them right to a body that's in, like, the wine cellar that is, I guess, been there for, like, decades. No one's ever seen before. Uh, it, <laughs> so they bury it out on the it ground. It good for a body that's as old as it is. With cats and rats running around, for sure. You think it'd be fully skeletal at this point, but it's, no, it's more just rotten pumpkin. But that doesn't help out. She's still getting um, haunted by whatever's in the house. And she seems to be more at odds with Dr. Barrett. And she's getting kind of arrogant and smug herself in a knowing way. Like, I know what's going on and you don't. She's also at odds at this point with Fisher, too, because she still firmly believes that this is Daniel Belasco. And he's starting to think that she was just fooled. Right, he's trying to convince her just to either leave or just to stop doing anything and just collect your money. And she's like, he's like, we put Daniel Belasco to rest. You're being duped. Something's up here. Since putting him to rest uh, did not work, um, she decides, I guess, that um, having sex with him would work. That was a very strange moment when I realized what was happening. You have to cover your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she does get naked. She gets on the bed. Right. Obviously, she actually tells him, like, if this is going to work, then have your way with me, which leads to some rough, rough sex. I could even tell you, well, you just don't have sex with ghosts. That's just a bad idea. Well, she also flirts with Fisher after she kind of wakes up from this. So I'm kind of thinking, you know, it's not that hard to get into her pants. <laughs> she had a real creepy giggle when she uh, woke up post-coitus. <laughs> With uh, tons of scratches and blood all over her. So it was one of those, you know, four o'clock in the morning, super drunk, getting wild and crazy, hit your head kind of sex moments. She can't even see the person she's having sex with. She uh, flirts with, Fli- with Fisher and basically says, you know, you could have slept with me if you wanted to. So I don't know what it is about it. He must have some sort of animal magnetism. Maybe he's a werewolf. I feel like all the... You know, he says he's turned off his medium powers. I think he's channeling all his energy towards like turning women on. Sexual magnetism. It's not the looks, but he's doing it. He's like, I turned off... I turned off the... I turned off the psychic powers, but I turned on the swag <laughs> powers. <laughs> It turned on the pheromone. I mean, shit, I'd hit it. <laughs> One thing that I think is interesting about this movie is they're both right in a way, in that you know they both kind of have a stick up their ass in <laughs> that they're right in the you know, the idea of the Florence believing that this is a ghost in this house and Barrett saying no, this is just you know energy and this can all be scientifically explained. As we see more, it's like, okay, yeah, there definitely is a ghost that's fucking with Florence, but also <laughs> he researched the ectoplasm 
and, and saw it oh, come off cool. of her. Yeah, it's all scientifically explained, and so it's like, okay, yeah, it's scientifically explained, but that doesn't mean that she's wrong. And yeah, there's a ghost, but that doesn't mean that he's wrong. <laughs> it's true. If they had just had a heart-to-heart conversation, a lot of this could have been avoided. Exactly. That's what the message of the movie is. <laughs> Communication, kids. Communication. <laughs> uh, so once she's done with her uh, ghost ghost sex, Miss Tanner's going to leave the house at the behest of Fisher, but then she finds out that uh, Barrett has created this machine that's going to displace all of the energy in the house and should clear yeah, it. It's all he he deduces that well more hypothesizes it's all radiation. It's all like built up radiation energy in the house. He's gonna hit it with a counter blast, so he's gonna radiate the house and that'll <laughs> get rid of all the energy. I think he describes it as a it's like a battery. Like the house is a battery and their own psychic energy is drawing off of it and that So he clearly believes in some you know, mumbo-jumbo, <laughs> but it's not ghosts. Yeah, my question is, where the fuck did this machine come from? Right? It even had his, own, he, it had his name on it. Did he make it there? Yeah. It's, because it's we didn't see him making a machine, and they didn't have any, like, there was no, like, tools hanging out to make a machine. Did he have it delivered? Was it already there? Where the fuck did this thing come from? Just threw some stuff together from around the house. I mean, it's not like, you know, the size of your cell phone. It's the size of a fucking house. Yeah, no, this is big. It's like it's like a dresser. Right? <laughs> I would say like refrigerator box size. Probably even bigger. Um, so it's like not it's it's something that you would notice if it was brought into the house. Is what that's what I'm getting at here. But uh, Miss Tanner thinks that this is going to harm the ghost. She doesn't want to harm the ghost because she's in love with Daniel. Uh, she said because she says that she is. Plus, possessing her, it's unclear. She probably. I was also carrying his ghost child at this point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she, 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 no, she is possessed. She's possessed by the spirit of, which I believe at that point, she still thinks it's Daniel, but it's Emmerich. Also around this point, Fisher, without telling anyone, briefly like opens himself up to the house and then has some sort of seizure and then closes himself back off. And I don't really know why. Well, that's just to show you that what would happen if he did? Okay. <laughs> I, I think from a, from a storyline perspective, I think that's what that scene is for. So that scene was because he's the protagonist, so he doesn't look like a huge dick. Like he's he's just holding off to get the money. Like this is why he's not doing it. All in respect to Roddy McDowell, who's fantastic. That scene had some very strange acting choices. <laughs> uh, well, Miss Hannah tries to destroy the machine and probably being possessed by the ghost that she had sex with because that's what happens when you have sex with a ghost. You get fucking possessed, man. Uh, but she's unable to do so because uh, Fisher tries to stop her. She hits him with a crowbar. I think it's a crowbar. And he's like knocked out. But she hits him on the shoulder, but he's like knocked out. Uh, and then Barrett smacks her because we smack her. We, we like to smack women in this movie. Both women, yes. both women get bitch smacked. If you keep in count, that's body count zero. Women's getting beat by men count two. Back in the good old days. The 70s. The 70s. When you could bitch smack your woman without any repercussions. And like, he... It's not just like a bitch slap. He knocks her out. Well, I will say... 
I will say this. In both cases uh, of the men smacking the women, I, I believe both cases were justified. They were both possessed by a male ghost. So <laughs> it's just like smacking the male. It's like punching a dude in the face. Yeah, it's like a boxing match, really. Um, so she's out from the smack, wakes up, and then wanders into what is this, like, huge, like, chapel room, right? Yeah, they've kind of been, she's been avoiding it to this point because of the psychic energy radiating out of it. Yeah, because we haven't been in this room, right? She has. The whole movie. Um, we see that the other people go into it. I don't think we see the inside. We do see the other people go into it, and she refuses to go yeah, in. That's at the very beginning. She stayed away yeah. in the way from like, the Today, I can't do it right now. But we've never seen the inside of the movie until this, the inside of that room until this scene. I think it's also because it's implied that, like, she's very, she's very religious, and she, they, I mean, they pick her up at a church at the start. Of the well, movie. she can't be that religious, and, having sex before marriage, or marriage the, before sex, and whatever. Then she also says that she believes that her psychic medium powers are directly from God, and that she explains a bunch of psychic medium stuff that are directly in the Bible, and she's. Yeah, it's implied that she's religious and that this chapel is kind of the source of all evil, and that's just, like, beyond sacrilege to us. So maybe that's why she won't go in, but we don't... Before this point, I don't believe we see the inside of the chapel. Right, so there's a huge, like, crucifix at the front of the chapel. Um, It's kind of ambiguous as to what's on the crucifix. I don't think it's Jesus, right? (laughs) No, I don't think so. Yeah. That's an interesting interpretation of Jesus, if it is. (laughs) Right. So she's kind of, she's in the chapel and she's kind of pissed because, you know, she got. That's where I went to chapel. She had to do the walk of shame, you know, after one night stand with a demon. <laughs> uh, so the demon does what any demon would do and, you know, takes a giant crucifix and smashes her. <laughs> Which she get the, the crucifix falls down and, and she's, you know, in her death throes. But for like. Two minutes of screen time, she's completely like aware and able to move her body around and then make a B with a circle around it on the crucifix yeah. in her own blood and then and then does the movie and just dies. Yeah, there's no struggle. It's like straight lucidity to straight death. It's like it's like when somebody's it's the adrenaline. Playing dead in a on a in a badge stage play in a sitcom. They just die. Are you talking shit about my girl Pam? <laughs> I don't know that that was her uh, her acting choice as much as it was probably a director thing. A little weird. A little weird. I know it's your girl, but a little, little weird. Uh, but you got to see her naked in a 1973 way. Oh, the silhouette? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so there's that. I mean, you know. Scratched off your bucket list. Immediately after this happens, they find her body. They don't seem to care. Honestly, like there's no, there's no remorse. They're like, ah, well, we kind of expected this was going to happen. Let's just continue about our day. Let's not call the police to come pick up a body. Let's not bury her. We we got things to do because it's Christmas Eve. We got. It's Christmas Eve. We have gifts to exchange. Santa's on his way. Uh, I don't think Santa probably goes to the hell house. That's just what I'm just putting it out there. I think that the Belasco's are on the naughty list? I think Belasco is definitely on the naughty list. I think Santa probably showed up once and Belasco tried to fuck him, so he was like, no, I'm out of here. This ain't going to happen again. I don't know if I was Santa if I would risk putting Belasco on the naughty list. 
I've heard uh, people like, you know, Belasco and like El Chapo and stuff like that, you know, like, they got to be on the good list because you don't want to know what happens if they're not. Yeah, just to satiate them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Barrett goes about his work. They, they run the machine, come back in. Fisher's amazed. He's, he, he opens up. Everything's clear. I can't believe it. You've fixed it. Everything's clear. You were right. Uh, so as Barrett's doing his numbers, this is when he's the most punchable. He is so kudos to <laughs> kudos to Clive uh, Rivel because the character would have been as smug as fuck at that point, and he was too. And they, this is when he was at his most punchable. Um, so he's trying to run his numbers. All of a sudden, the machine gets crazy, and he's like, "This can't be happening." This room is clear. How can this be happening? And then it explodes in his face. And we find out later that uh, his wife finds him actually in the same chapel with like a chandelier. chandelier yeah. Uh, piercing him like it fell on him and looks like he got, it looks like he got pierced in several different areas. I thought this was a ballsy move. And I thought it worked, but I think it really could have not worked. The fact that, like, the characters they killed were the two, like... Main characters of the movie? The two most interesting characters. The two characters that have done anything. And, you know, the the other two have had very little to do story-wise. And so it could have, like, you've been like, oh, why do I care about this movie anymore? But no, I think it worked. (laughs) Well, I think think Fisher's interesting enough to keep... it. If it was just... The wife? Yeah. See, yeah. I think that's the testament to Roddy McDowell is because Fisher, I, as he was written, I doubt he's interesting enough to carry it, but just the gravitas that Roddy McDowell brings to it made him interesting enough. Yeah, I mean, just like... Just like the facial tics and the facial expressions. It, I, I think they're made. I think it's kind of a lost art in movie acting today, honestly, because that's not what people want to see today. But back then, it was, you know, it was different. Like, you can tell this guy, he's got something going on, and you kind of want to figure out what it is. Hear that, Joy Shatz? What's that? You hear that, Joy Shatz? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she probably turned the podcast off at this point, I'm sure. She probably... (laughs) She's listening. Well, or she's in the gym right now, sharpening her boxing skills. I hope she is. All I I gotta say is, when it happens, we're gonna broadcast it live on the Resurrection Zombie 7 podcast Facebook page. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing? <laughs> <laughs> for charity. Hey, if she wants to do it for charity, I'll do it. Um, there's what's that? There's a director who boxes his critics. Uh, bring it, Joy. We'll do it for charity. Yeah, and you'll now yeah. you and then you'll have a role in the Hell House LLC four, where you're just a dead body. Slay there, be dead. Oh, I do. Worse than she is, but I'll take it. <laughs> uh, so Fisher figures out he does, this is his thing when he opens up and he figures out well, there's one room that's not clear, and it's around uh, this chapel. And he kind of, I think that I think things kind of fall apart here a little bit, clairvoyant. I was about to say the same uh, because I'm I'm into it, right? I'm like I'm down. I'm like this is okay. I'm I'm following mm-hmm. the storyline. There's some issues here and there, but I can overlook those for the most part. You know, none, very few movies are perfect. Fisher has figured it out based on the fact that uh, Florence Tanner has written this B with the circle around it, meaning Belasco. That 
There's not a lot of de- there's not a lot of entities in the house. It's just one. It's not Daniel. It's the dad. It's Emmerich Belasco. And Fisher figures out that this is all pretty much just a front. This Which guy's. I don't know how he got that from her writing a B because that ghost that she insisted was she was interacting with was also named Belasco. Well, but he never believed it was Daniel to begin with. But, like, her writing a B doesn't mean it, you know, just... Yeah, no, I see. It was Daniel, but that's not what he concluded from that. Um, well, I think he he's finally opened up at this point, too. Maybe he only feels the one entity, but it's a super strong entity. Because at, at first they thought he was... The, the Belasco entity was keeping the other entities from crossing over. Now he realizes it's just the one entity that's just super strong. But here's... <laughs> I'm okay with that. That's fine. Uh, even the, uh, to me, even the setup, like everything about the scene is weird, even the setup to it, just because the fact that he was clearly not in the chapel when his readings exploded, but then he died in the chapel. We don't know how he got there or why he went there. You're talking about doctor. Also, why did his readings explode if the house was clear except the chapel, and that's not where he was? Yeah, I don't know. That's not explained. I, I don't know so if there is a. To me. <laughs> I would be interested in seeing some. Uh, and Shout Factory actually released. Re, uh, Scream, sorry, Scream Factory released a version of this on DVD not too long ago, with some commentary. By yeah, uh, Pam herself. Right. So I'd be interested to see if there's some cut scenes. Or maybe it's in the book. I don't know. Uh, but Fisher and his wife definitely end up there. And Fisher knows that at this point, by hook or by crook, that all the entities are actually just Emmerich being a huge dick and trying to put up a front that he's this big badass. Because for some reason, somehow, Fisher's figured out he's just overcompensating because he's actually very, very short. <laughs> I mean, he even yells at one time, What are you? Five foot two? One? I bet you weren't even five foot tall. And I'm like, and I'm like, man, really? Honestly, this whole movie is just about this guy being fucking short. I relate, but this guy is, <laughs> this guy's issue. But at least, to his credit, at least it was alluded to before, like the fact that, oh, he was called the Roaring Giant. And right. They, they do make a deal of how tall he was and how imposing he was. So, <laughs> I still don't think it pays off. <laughs> I don't. Was that a big also, issue back in the early seventies? Like, if also, you if you were short, you were a lower rung of society. I don't understand the whole. Yeah, I don't get it. Also, Fisher comes to this conclusion because he he remembers all the people that died on his last expedition, and all of them, all their legs were crushed. And then these people who had just died, he's like, oh, he went for their legs. But then it shows both their bodies and their legs are the only things unharmed. That are sticking out from the cross and the chandelier. Even though we did see uh, Florence, her legs being crushed, now her legs are the only things that are not crushed. And you know, But she couldn't use them, at the, she couldn't use them at the end. Sorry? She couldn't use them as she was dying. She wouldn't have been able to get out of there. She probably was paralyzed from the waist down. These people, his conclusion is right, I guess, but it's based on a... He he needs to show his work. He can't do it. I mean, (laughs) 
it's you know, I mean new new math. It's the new math. <laughs> um, it's just so anticlimactic. Yeah, this guy is such a badass, and he's just overcompensating because he's. T- you might as well say, "I bet your dick is only two inches." You know, it's the same thing. See, that's more in line of what I would say in this situation. Because, <laughs> I mean, well, maybe not in this situation, but in a haunted house situation in general. I'll, you know, egg, I'll go to the ghost. In this situation, I think I would uh, respect my own life <laughs> enough <laughs> to not. Fisher manages to uh, blow up a glass panel behind where the where the crucifix was at. Another strange acting choice. And it's, and it's uh, well, his head shakes, right? Uh, yeah, every time he uses his medium powers, it's... Um, yeah. Back in the shake. 70s, this is how you showed you were a medium. Your head had to shake. And I'd love to see him as, like, Professor X in an X-Men movie every time he used his psychic <laughs> abilities. He'd probably be a fine Professor X. Uh, so this opens up a whole nother room. And again, I, you know, I, it's questionable. It's been a while. We've had investigative teams in here before. Obviously, there was some cult activity in here and a bunch of debauchery. So I'm sure there's been lots of people traipsing through this mansion throughout the decades. And we've never, so far, we have a body that was holed up in a wall that was pretty much out in the open, though. It wasn't like it was hidden. Um, it was just in the crevice yeah. in a wall that's never, that was never found. And then the secret room that was also never found. I mean, it's the stained glass. You probably could have seen through it. Yeah. Um, so so they they walk into this room, and the crazy thing is, in this room is sitting um, Alfred from the Batman movies. I thought it was Andrew Tony from Hell House LLC. <laughs> could have been the same, but this guy is definitely the guy who played Alfred from the in the, in the, the Batman good. movies from the late eighties. Wow. Same dude. He was not credited, so I don't know who it was. <laughs> uh, I guarantee that's who it was. He was, yeah, and I still, like, there's a voice, his voice was on a tape earlier, and then he was sitting there, and I assume those were done by the same person, but I was like, what a shame to be in this movie and just not be credited. Yeah, so this allegedly was supposed to be, like, his body had been preserved, yeah, um, which I'm glad that they uh, explained in the throwaway line, because I would not have gathered. I, I was thinking, is that a preserved body, or what the hell is going on? Because it, they be- mentioned that it was a preserved body. Yeah, because it's obviously like a live actor sitting there, and not like yeah, some sort of prosthetic. It's a guy sitting there with a glass of wine, and it's just a guy sitting there. And it's like, what? Is he going to start clapping when like, you figured it out, Batman? <laughs> and I'm a vampire! I've been here the whole time. I did have sex with that woman. With Florence? Yeah, well, I mean, sure. <laughs> if he's a vampire. But he's not. He's dead. He's uh, he's dead and stuffed. Which even raises more questions. Because then, somebody had to stuff him. Put him in that pose. Build this... Wine in his <laughs> right. Build this room. And, and seal it up with this stained glass window. And still, we didn't know he was back there. Like no one talked. Come on. I think wine evaporates, so I don't know how long he's been there. What well, could have been but fake wine? You'd think that, like, unless that's a recent glass of wine. 
Well, maybe somebody comes in and refills it. I mean, we, there's a lot of unanswered questions here. You clearly have some sort of assistant, so. Uh, so, Fisher figures out that the whole room is made with lead. Lead walls, which keeps the energy out. The whatever the Barrett was trying to do keep, keeps that stuff out. And uh, so this guy was way ahead of his time in making sure that his ghosts ruled the house and stayed in the rule of the house. Uh, Fisher also figures out because he takes a knife and stabs the guy in the leg that this guy, he chopped his legs off because they were so short and so disgraceful uh, that he had prosthetic tall legs put in because being short was 1970s prosthetics too. Uh, I mean, makes me that leads, lends more credence to our theory that he's got some assistant that's doing shit for him. The the worst thing in the world in the seventies must have been to be a short person, right? Well, I guess this he was from the twenties, so maybe that's true. But I mean, the movie maybe this was you know he wrote this based on personal experience. Why are you so short? It was. I'll kill you, you short motherfucker! <laughs> uh, but yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even I actually... survive in the 70s. <laughs> that's a good call, because uh, I didn't even pick up on that, the fact that the prosthetics were uh, more modern for the time period of the movie, because I was just so aghast that I was like, really? I mean, this is this is the climax? This is what we've been leaning up to? Like, I've been looking forward to the end of this movie? This is what I got? He's a funny little dried-up bastard. <laughs> funny also- little... So he's a son of a whore! Yeah, Your mother was a whore. He repeatedly calls his mom a whore, and I'm like, what does that have to do with them being short? I know. I'm like, dude, leave my mom out of this. Maybe his mom was short. But that's how he got the he got the gene. A short whore. Uh, so now that the room is open, Fisher turns the machine on, and apparently this is going to clear the whole house. And he's uh, he actually actually says he hopes that the spirits of Barrett and uh, Florence will guide this guy towards the light. And I'm like, well, this guy's kind of a dick. I don't really think he needs to get the good stuff, but... I want to see that, though. Feels like the end of a musical. But we're pretty sure that Fisher and the Widow Barrett hooked up after that, right? Well, they had to. I mean, she obviously... She obviously had a thing for him, and she probably hadn't had sex in about five years. So she was married to Dr. Barrett. So and he's already seen, and he's already seen her. Ever. He's already seen her boobs. I mean, got to You got to hit probably like probably one of those twelve position nights three or four times. He's probably an animal in the sack. <laughs> See, I think Fisher is a virgin. Yeah, I think he's been traumatized since he was fifteen, and so he just doesn't <laughs> in this like weird sex house. Think he's got no version to it. That's why he really slapped her. He thought he didn't realize she was possessed. <laughs> the only person that knows is passed away, Roddy McDowell. Like you know how actors will create this entire backstory, fictional backstory for their characters to work into their performance. He probably made a whole backstory for Fisher. He may maybe that was it, or maybe sure. well, it wouldn't surprise me either if he said Fisher was a homosexual. Actually, yeah, I can see that too. Yeah, I, I pretty but easily. They said. couldn't say it in the seventies. In the seventies, if you're a short or a homosexual, <laughs> so anyway, that is uh, Legend of Hell House. Now you can check off another mark on your horror cred card. 
I think you get bonus points if it's pre nineteen seventy six. Pre Halloween. This is this is actually you know before Halloween, before Exorcist, before Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, so haunted house movies, I, I think around this time were super popular. And this has the same uh, pacing as a the, a seven a mix of a pacing of a seventies movie, which kind of slow builds. Um, yeah. And then the paranormal movies in general, by definition, kind of have to have slow builds. But I think that. What this movie did well, where Richard Matheson succeeded in his screenplay, was he kept enough things going in the in the meantime, you know, while while we're getting other characters while building up, that you never were disinterested. I also really can respect a an author. I mean, this guy is he's worked both in you know print and in teleplays and screenplays. Yeah, so. yeah. But so, but I respect how he can adapt his own material and know what needs to be changed for the medium and not just like, you know, this is my baby. I can't change that. It's something that's really difficult to do. And it's not, from what I can see, it's not identical to the book, but he wrote the book, he wrote this and he knew what needed to be changed and what was more cinematic. And so good for him. I'd be interested in reading Hell House. I have so many books on my plate that I'll probably never, I'll probably never ever get to it, but I'd be interested in reading it. Like if I was stuck in a house and they had a bookshelf and I didn't have anything to read and that was that was on there, yeah, but yeah, I read that. I'd be happy yeah. to read it. Me too. Um, so let's go ahead and rate the Legend of Hell House. So I watched this first, and then I watched Hell House LLC, and then Hell House LLC two. And <laughs> after I finished Hell House LLC, the first one, I had the same kind of reaction in that like it was good and then it didn't stick the landing <laughs> in both this and LLC the first one the second one didn't stick anything but this it, it, I was intrigued I was engrossed the whole time like the cast I like Pamela Franklin now number one fan <laughs> and I was on board and it was like a mystery you're unraveling and you're trying to see where it's going to go and I just wish it went somewhere better. It's not like it was the worst twist in the world, but you're just like, oh, that's it? You know, yeah, like, it just seemed like it was just building up to something better than that, you know? Yeah, it was like unraveling a knot, and then you're like, okay, I guess it was simpler than I thought it was. <laughs> and the, the ending was a bit of a disappointment. I don't think it, like, really like, soured the movie. It's still got a rewatch value. I'd show it to someone. Uh, I'd give this probably like a six and a half out of ten. It's not like the best movie I've ever seen, but I did enjoy it. I'd be interested in buying this from Scream Factory. Yeah. Scream, Scream Factory does a really good job with their DVD releases. So it's a name. Yeah, I'd love to watch it again with commentary and stuff. Sure. Like a good movie. It's a, it's a name that I trust. Actually, I'll bump it up to seven. I'll give it a seven. Out of you know, I'm probably going to overrate this from when I should what I should rate it, be, just because... <laughs> Um, such because a, of Hell House LLC, too. <laughs> because I watch Hell House LLC afterwards. No. Uh, because I'm such a sucker for the gothic mansion, uh, older movies, and I just love the acting in this movie. And that was before I watched Hell House LLC, too. Yeah, that was great in this. From, I mean, you can do that. And the fact that there's only four characters and you're still interested in the whole movie is a, is a statement to, to the acting, honestly. I didn't mention it, but there's, and it, this kind of took me out of the film. Uh, there's near the beginning, he kind of, it kind of stops halfway through. There were some weird, uh, cinematography choices 
with uh, a bunch of weird oh. framing, but also the main thing was Spinning like cameras. spinning cameras, but also like they would do this thing where they would do a close up on a character all of a sudden, and then an extreme close up of the character. <laughs> they did that several times in the first half of the film. It wasn't as prominent in the second half of the film, but I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like, like when you have to notice the cinematography like that, um, it's probably not good, right? The ending really was very, very flat, and we kind of went over it while we were doing it. But it's just, uh, it was, it was, it was SMH inducing. <laughs> yeah. It was an SMH inducing. I didn't wear my eyes. That seems to be the, the the factor here. Like if I show this to somebody, like a horror fan that hadn't seen it yet, and I was like, "Oh, I think I watched this movie. It's really good." And they would be like, they would probably look at me and be like, really? Because he was short? That's, he's pissed off because he's short? He's got Napoleon yeah. Syndrome? And that's, that's what's going on here? Especially if you were like, oh, you gotta wait till the twist man. Um, So I'm I'm gonna give it a six. Which, you know, if the acting wasn't as good, I if, if this was set in 2000s, I probably would give it a five and a half or a five. Uh, but I just like the, that's a different acting style uh, than we're used to. Because acting, you know, acting styles changed since then. Everyone was like nice and transatlantic. Yeah. Are they British? Are they American? Right, right, right. I think that was the that was a thing back then too, around that time period. Yeah, that was a big thing. Uh, And that's that that uh, the ambience of those big houses. Like this is what I love about the Universal films too. Is this the big giant sets and the ambience that that creates the especially especially the Dracula films are like that. Yeah. Anyway, so that is. Hell House LLC 2. More to come from that franchise. And The Legend of Hell House, which probably... um Any uh, more to come from that franchise. <laughs> you never know. They might they may remake it. I don't think they've ever... They've had a remake yet, I don't believe. No, they're just going to make it too. But if, you know, with the success of The Haunting of Hell House, somebody's bound to get confused. You know, it, it almost feels like The Haunting of Hell House is the Asylum version. Of the haunting of Hill House, you know, we just changed the name a little bit and made it a little wacky, so you'll accidentally buy the DVD at the video store. Well, season two of the haunting of Hill House is the haunting of Bly Manor, and I imagine if that does as well as the first season, we'll be getting we'll be getting this one as a season soon enough. Yeah, you think that that is our uh, our investigation of the investigations. Of the various hell houses. If we come across any more hell houses, we'll definitely keep you updated. Uh, Clairvoyant, did you have anything you wanted to promote at this point? Pamela Franklin. <laughs> it's a call out to Pamela Franklin. If someone I'd like to promote her, and I'd like to promote me and Joy's boxing match. Okay, upcoming. Sure. Stay tuned to the Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> um, right now, as far as podcasts and projects, I'm working on. There's the irons in the fire. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing that I'm ready to talk about, but just keep an eye on my Twitter, I guess. Yeah. What's your Twitter? It's at Jesse Roloffs, R-O-L-U-F-S. Uh, so everybody follow Jesse Roloffs, at Jesse Roloffs, uh, J-E-S-S-E, right? So. Yep. Not I-E or right. any of that crazy shit. On the, on the Twitter. And as always, um, if you haven't, subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, wherever we're at, then do that. I mean, why, why are you not doing that? It's the easiest way to get the podcast. It'd be kind of crazy for you not to, honestly. 
Um, if you haven't liked the Facebook page, do that too. I've been posting a lot more stuff on the Facebook page here recently. Check out zombie7.com for other episodes, earlier episodes. We, like I said, there's over 320. There's something there that you're going to like at some point. Also, check out my other site, IHateStuff.net, with some more pop culture related uh, site going through the Marvel Universe, watching the Marvel movies for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Um, all, I'm about to watch the first Avengers movie. I'm kind of excited about it. We'll see what happens. I'm excited for you. It's because I, I'm just interested to see what your your reaction is going to be. To the first, I, I love that movie. It's Joss Whedon, and I know you like him. Yep, I do like Joss Whedon. Speaking Joss of Whedon. Joss Whedon, uh, also we're we're going to be trying to figure out what the best Buffett the Vampire Slayer episode is on that very same site. Uh, so if you're a fan of the show, you have your favorite episodes you want me to look at, take into consideration. I'll take every episode into consideration. But anyone who's actually mentioned, I'll actually watch, uh, rewatch. So name lots. You get the you get four. That's why and that's why I narrowed it down to four. You get four choices. You can leave it in the comments section there uh, on the web page, or on the Facebook page, or you can even email them to me. On email them to the, send them to Jesse on his Twitter account. He'll get them to me. We'll get it all figured out. We'll get it all figured out. So <clears throat> there you go. Zombie7.com. I hate stuff. .net. Uh, if you're interested in the actual events that happen at the Salem Witch Trials of 1692, check out my other podcast, the Salem 1692 Podcasts. And with that being said, I think I've, I'm have i done pimping shit out. Uh, that's a long ramble at this point. So until uh, next month, this has been the Resurrection of Zombie 7 Podcast. Big thanks to the Clairvoyant for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me. You're welcome for me introducing you to the Hell House LLC universe. Yeah, and I feel like I'll be able to watch three. And Not, you have to watch three and uh, and the series. I mean, you're in. You're in for the long haul now, bro. I don't want to be, but I guess that's how it has to be. <laughs> uh, so for the clairvoyant, uh, my name is Ron Martin, and we will see you guys in the month of July, 2019. See you guys in about a month. Could it all be a bad dream or a nightmare? Is it my imagination, or have we lost our minds? It's surreal. It's just not believable. A grand absurdity. The Abaddon. Abaddon. The Abaddon. The Aladdin. Abbott. <laughs> hey, Abbott. <laughs> and, uh, oh, shoot. What's the. In the mouth of. Is he right in the mouth of madness? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know much about Twilight Zone, period, aside from the Derek 20,000 feet, so I heard he wrote that one. I was like, cool. Thank goodness we have these things. Back in my day, you just had to remember shit. <laughs>